0: Well, Hello everybody, this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to your Rattlecast number 179. So glad you could join me. Today's guest is Nikkel Davis. She'll be here in about 15 minutes. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated unaff- with any other organization. Uh, We just do it because we love poetry, and we know you do, too. So please do click the like button and share. Make sure you're subscribed. Ring the bell for notifications. Leave reviews on iTunes or Spotify. Whatever you can do to help spread poetry around the Internet would be greatly appreciated because poetry is the solution to the matter with things. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to the summer issue. But it definitely is, and we want you to spread it around as much as possible to save the world. So let's do that, if you would. Now, as always, we like to start with uh, our... uh, Poets Respond Poets, we have two this week. It's been a while since we've had two, actually. And um, Kenneth Tanamiri is here all the way from uh, Vietnam. Um, hey, Kenny, how you doing? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on. We've published you probably three, four times already. This is the first time in a while, anyway, for Poets Respond. And it was a hyben, a long hyben, about the Lunar New Year. Um, do you want to explain, right, right. first of all, a little bit about the form for people who might not be familiar with the hyben? Uh, It's just it's a wonderful form. It's one of the we've the one of the longer ones we've published was years two back in issue number forty seven. Can you explain a little bit about what a haibun is and and how they work?
1: Well, a haibun is a traditional Japanese form that combines haiku with prose, and the haiku is sort of meant to deepen the imagery and impressions in the prose, but also the the prose is commenting on the haiku. So the kind of the prose and the haiku are, are kind of juxtaposed with each other. They're in conversation w- with each other. And um, people might be familiar with a classic hybun uh, by Basho called Narrow Road to the Deep North, which is a travelogue with haiku mixed into it. And traditionally, like uh, hi- uh, the prose in the hybun is objective and imagistic, kind of sticks to a slice of life, a character sketch, or in a, like a significant moment, because it's supposed to be pretty short. And um, the, things that, the thing that makes the hybin special, I think is that, um, You'd probably come up with something that you would not come up with otherwise if you weren't writing a haibun, because um, the haiku is kind of like a heuristic for the prose, and you wouldn't, you know, you, you the prose is kind of building off the haiku and vice versa. So you come up with something that could probably only occur in that form, and um, I think that it's uh, I think it, that's why people still continue to write it. It's something that people are still exploring the possibilities of.
0: Yeah, I always think of the, yeah. the relationship between the haiku and the prose is a kind of like like an undercutting or like an addition. Like it shouldn't be a direct reaction to the prose, um, but it should be some kind of thing that just sort of turns it on its head and makes you think about the same topic in a different direction.
1: Is that is that right, would you say, to, to feel like the haiku should be doing that? I think so, because, I mean, you can't really have a direct reaction because um, haiku is not direct and it's not directly reacting to anything right so it's certainly not going to react to the pros in in that kind of way but it, it, there's some kind of intuitive connection or leap that's being made and and that i think that that's the sort of connection that goes throughout the entire high bone, right through the not just the, the the way the haiku is reacting but through the sentences sentences and how they react to each other that's sort of like the spirit of the entire how the entire piece is written. So I think you're right about that.
0: Yeah, and a lot of the yeah, uh, yeah. the feedback I got after we published the poem, people can reply to me from the Daily Poem. Um, and they a bunch of people said, um, you know, I love this. I've never read a hymen this long and I didn't want it to end, which is just a great compliment, I thought. Um, it's about yeah. the Lunar New Year. Um, and can you tell us a little bit too about the Lunar New Year, about what it means? Because you mentioned in the, your note um, that it means a lot more than sort of the Western conception of what it means. It's just like the year of the rabbit is is what we have this year. It means a lot more than that. Can you explain a little bit about what the lunar year means in Hanoi in particular?
1: Well, in Hanoi, I think I guess a lot of people would know that it's it's the start of a new year in the lunar calendar, which is determined by the monthly cycles of the moon's phases. People would know that, but in vietnam it's it's a it's kind of a big deal because it's the preparation starts a week before the lunar new year where like there's uh, people are buying traditional foods and, and like trees and blossoms and uh, offering foods to the altars to the gods and and there's people are getting getting haircuts and getting new clothes for the new year sleeping and cleaning a lot and then there's the actual new year eve and new year day where you're meeting with family uh, throughout the day and uh, giving lucky money to kids, and, and that sort of those sort of visits, social visits happen pretty much every day of New Year week. You know, one day you're visiting your teachers, the next day uh, uh, so, a group of relatives are visiting you, and then the next day you go out to visit a certain group of friends. So it's pretty much um, visiting and spending uh, meaningful time with people, different people in your communities. That's why it's such a long celebration. I think is because it takes a long time to do that, but it, People take the entire week off from work to do that, and I think that's sort of the heart of the the holiday here. It's just to reconnect with the people who are important to you.
0: Yeah, well, that's the what yeah. this hyben uh, displays so well. Um, it'd be ten minutes, I think, to read the whole thing. Do you want to read a section of it? And uh, and if so, what section would you have in mind?
1: I can read a sh- section of it. I'd like to read the part where uh, the scene with my father-in-law in his writing office, sort of uh just because it's kind of uh like the last half page of it and i think it uh wraps it up well i guess
0: yeah go ahead I, i'll put it up on screen for everybody at home
1: okay um so this is the section where um i'm in the i'm in the my father-in-law's office where he writes and things like that and it starts it starts like this Thanks to the miracle of taxidermy and a former student who hunted wolves, he sits on a chair directly in front of a wolf, its head hovering over my father-in-law, which makes him look like a wolf man, spurred on by the spirit of freedom and instincts. This is his chair alone. You have to sit facing the wolf if you want to write here, he said. I face the wolf, those fangs, those enraged eyes, the mouth gaping open as if to snap shut like a guillotine onto a poor elk's throat don't necessarily inspire numinous moments. Still, I focus on the wolf as a symbol of intelligence, communication, and understanding. We all share a life together, my father-in-law says, gesturing with a broad sweep of his hand. He grounds my isolate, individualist bearing and brings me back to the communal, the common ground we all have and share even more with our families. Going back to the kitchen, I asked my mother-in-law if she needs me to help her with anything. She is the heart and soul of the family. She placed the daffodils that bloom once a year on the table because they are pretty and symbolize new beginnings. She flung open the big Acacia double doors this morning and filled the entrance to the house with violets so they may bring a moment of peace and beauty to the visitors. She feeds the visitors gives them tea, cleans up the mess they had leave, and sees them off with a vibrant smile and wishes for good health and success. First day of the new year, the faces of people are the faces of peonies.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent hyphen. If you want to read the whole thing, of course, go to rattle.com slash respond, and you'll see um, the, entire, the link to the entire uh, uh, hyphen there. And, and one of the things I always do with a hyphen, I mean, I shouldn't admit it probably, but I go to the, the haiku first. And if the end haiku is good, then I bother reading all the prose. And I love that end haiku, which uh, carry, you know, carries the rest through. Thanks so much for joining us, Kenny. Great, great, thing, uh, great to, thing to be writing and sharing and talking about. It really means a lot to everybody.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yep, take care. Yeah, that was Kenny uh, Tenemura, all the way from Hanoi, Vietnam, where it's uh, about noon today, almost, um, with his hyben, the hyben Lunar New Year in Hanoi. Uh, That was Sunday's poem. And now we're going to shift to uh, tomorrow's poem, a little preview of what we have coming up next for all of you Daily Poem subscribers. Ron Ricci is here with I'm Lying in Bed Now. Uh, And hey, Ron, are you there?
2: I am. Thank you very, very much for having me. Thank you, Tim.
0: Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> my pleasure. It's been... Uh, we have published you back... I can't remember which issue it was. We published you a while ago. Uh, it's been a bit, and uh, this was a really... It was one of those... So I don't pick poems for Poetry Respond that I can relate to. I mean, it's it's just like not anything that uh, you know. I just I want to share people's voices and opinions through poetry, and it doesn't matter whether or not I agree. This happens to be one that I agree with completely, um, because I find the news just on every side of the the you know spectrum just maddeningly fake. And, uh, which is why, yeah, which is, so I just love this poem. Can you talk a little bit about how it came to be before we read it? (laughs) The
2: maddeningness and the fakeness were just making me boil over. And the funny thing was, like, Tony Kushner had one time said something along the lines of, you know, you're tapping into something when you're writing about something that nobody seems to be writing out, but everybody should be. And I felt like when I was writing it, I was like, I just had a joy of it. Cause I was, I was kind of angry, but in, but also loving it that I was saying something that's really important. And the thing that I think it's just saying is what you just said, <laughs> like, we need, we need more real news. And so it's about like somebody that I'm talking to in the poem who's saying, Oh, we do have real news in my country. Just so, you know, <laughs> you know, and I, I was fascinated by that. <laughs>
0: yeah I mean it's the same thing for me like I don't read any newspapers here but like you know The Guardian or like Der Spiegel and stuff like that I'll read because then you get some different perspectives I think what you have to do is kind of read multiple sources and then triangulate and that's like the only way you can figure out like everybody's lying to you but if you know where they're lying from even like um love it um what was what's the one by the by the Fulangong the Epoch Times you know like even that you can read that and say well I know they're coming from I hate you know communist China so I'm going to be writing about from that perspective. And if you get every perspective, then you can figure out what's maybe going on. But otherwise, yes. you're just kind of getting uh, propaganda. And um...
2: I, I, I highly agree with that. The word that you just said, propaganda. And the thing that's critical for me, what I started doing, I, I, I really wanted other languages. I, I, at New Year, I, my New Year resolution, I deleted all the English speaking songs that I have, like all of them. And I wanted only foreign languages because I wanted to start thinking differently and hearing different voices. So for me, like when I watched France uh, Van Cock, you know, 24. I start thinking very, very different thoughts than I do if I'm just in English. So yes, I just completely agree with you. So I'm excited, thank you for, for picking the poem and, and talking about this issue. It's something I think that people need to talk more about. And I think there's incentive to really try to like polarize everybody. And the more that you do that, the more likes you get when that's not really where you're gonna make actual change. And that's the funny thing is sometimes when you, for me, if you get into social justice discussions, they can be really polarizing discussions that actually help to enforce to make sure that change doesn't occur, so it's this weird double bind catch twenty two thing that we're caught up in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And you had it read by um, Betsy Baker, so I'm going to play it right <laughs> now. Sit tight, and then we'll talk okay. about why uh, why you had someone else read it, and then a little bit more about the poem after we everybody hears it because no one's heard it yet. So, um thank you. Hang Thanks. on one second, and we will give this a listen. You won't be able to hear it yourself, Ron, but you just have to sit for about two minutes and forty nine seconds while we play. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so here we go. So this is the uh, the poem that we're talking about, I'm Lying in Bed Now. It's going to be tomorrow's poem on Poets Respond, so uh, give it a listen.
3: I'm lying in bed now after having taken an aspirin and googling about my heart, how it could be acid reflux or a heart attack. Big difference. Or a panic attack, and it's ice in there. Left side of my chest, how sinister... Etymologically comes from on the left side, the liberal side, my body unable to take all the politics of this world, or not this world, this country, how everything here is split in half, and every conversation binary, and it's as if everything is black and white, or no, it's as if everything's vanta black versus barium sulfate the blackest black versus the whitest white. No shades, no grays, just these shadows of manipulation. One of my neuroscience profs, who said they did an experiment back when they could still do all the craziest shit on humans, and the person was able to give a jolt to certain parts of their brain that triggers different responses. And they thought the subjects would over and over keep stimulating the area, that would give pleasure, but no. They discovered that they loved it when they would stimulate an area that causes aggression. The type of anger which comes from a feeling of self-righteousness, this need, like a drug, to be morally superior, this craving that maybe we all have. I say this to my French girlfriend and she says, no. It's American to feel and act that way, that it's part of our two-party culture, that they have more than 40 political parties, and so they have complex discussions, not us versus them discussions, but real debate, actual real differences of opinion. And she keeps on using that word, real, how she is sick of reality TV, sick of the way that the news here, she says, repeats one story a thousand times so that they drill one perspective into your mind. And I'm quiet. And she leaves. And I'm alone. And my heart is like kindling. And in two days, she'll leave me forever. And I don't know this. And I don't know anything.
0: And once again, that's tomorrow's poem. Um, that's going to be coming up in The Daily Poem. If you're not subscribed, subscribe to our Daily Poem and get it in your email inbox. That's Ron Riki's I'm Lying in Bed Now, read by Betsy Baker. And so, Ryan, can you tell us, um, you know, why, because we, when we published a poem of yours before, you also had someone else read it. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about why you choose to do that? Because most people read it themselves. I always think it's interesting to hear the poet in their own voice <laughs> and articulation. So having a professional right. actor or actress read this uh, makes it more interesting in a, in a way. So, so why do you choose to do that?
2: Uh, well it's one thing I cough a lot when I read and that's really annoying to hear so I don't think people want me coughing my way through a poem but then the other thing is I just get fascinated by hearing somebody else do it especially somebody who's like trained and so my first poem when MC Search agreed to do it which I was like no way that's the coolest thing in the world you know he's from Spike Lee's Bamboozled and produced Naz's Elmatic and uh, was in third base and so he's eloquent and he's got this amazing voice and when he read it he read it, it was so much better than I could ever read it and I, I'm I'm so anticipating hearing this but I never got to hear it so I still don't know what it sounds like so you're sort of like <laughs> tempting me because I was excited all day I finally get to hear it and then you're like oh you're not going to be able to hear this right now Ron but Betsy is like you know she was in the Evil Dead and you know played Linda and and when in the poem it has that word sinister and I was like there is a sinister quality about the news and stuff so I was like I want to get this like iconic horror actress and the thing that's crazy she said yes I can't believe MC Sir says yes and then she said yes oh, so wow. it's like I'm, I am feel really blessed that's it's, it's did right did you did you know cool.
0: did you know them ahead of time or did you just like uh, well, cold call?
2: Well, <laughs> 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 I, I, you know, a lot of weird stories. I had worked on VH1's the 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 white rapper show because I had written a, a novel called UP and the producer had read it. And the book is all about like this hip hop, this really hardcore hip hop fan. So they the uh, VH1 contacted me out of the blue and said, "Would you want to be a like a hip hop? Uh, uh, What's it called? Uh, uh, I don't know the word, but but just somebody who gives input into the show because it seems like you know a hell of lot about the white wrapping industry because i you know I'm, i'm gonna be moving to detroit right now and i was living there before but but uh, and then with uh, with Betsy, I had written a book uh, was on the many lives of the evil dead that um, it got on the Bram Stoker recommended readings list. And so I did a, a signing with her and there was a line out the door like she is, has such a hardcore fan base. It was so cool. And she's the nicest human being ever in searches, too. Like and so I, I just love doing that. I think the cool thing that I like about poetry is when I can collaborate. That's one of the things I miss with poetry is like I love what screenwriting and I love about playwriting is that collaboration like what we're doing right now I I can probably hear it in my voice like I'm really excited because like the poet that you're about to have on her poem honeypot in rattle that thing is amazing and so it's like and I got to talk to her a little bit before and it's like holy crap I'm a fan and then I get to just like talk to you about your life and stuff it's like the best thing ever so I love them and I really highly respect poets like I love love writers love poets so to be able to share and talk like you're doing right now I think what you're doing with this podcast is just like phenomenal so I'm like I said I'm really really honored thank you for having me on it
0: Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Well, yeah, thanks. And she did a great job. She'll have to re-listen to it tomorrow uh, with everybody else here, I guess. But <laughs> okay, uh, okay. but she uh, yeah, she, and she did the slowdown because one of the things where it becomes personal at the end, and and it slows down. Yeah, and uh, and and she yeah. handled that perfectly, of course, because she knows what she's doing. But uh, yeah. but that really is the the turn that makes the poem. Um, moving and sort of adds an extra layer to it. Um, Yeah, and and I also I the the I I'd I'd read that experiment you talk about about um. You know, responses, you know, wanting to re-trigger that sort of self-righteous anger mode. And, yeah. and I had, I'd forgotten about that. That was like 20 years ago in a psychology class. Yeah. I read about that. And, yeah. uh, and it's, it's so interesting that the algorithms of social media have found the same thing, right? Exactly. So, yeah.
2: Yep. That's what it is. It's that Fo- Fox News thing if we can get people pissed off while we're watching the show, they're going to get addicted to that feel of anger and self-righteousness and they'll keep tuning in. And so that's the thing I don't want to get caught up in because I feel like we're getting so tricked mm-hmm. into wanting to... To hate and fight each other in a a quick thing, I I almost feel like I should say this is what I I volunteered at Gospel Mission in Chicago. I was talking to one of the persons there. She was, she dealt with like gang members and people who were struggling on the streets. And I asked her, I said to her, I gotta ask you this. Is it better when we have uh uh the Democrats are heading everything, or is it better when the Republicans? And I said, be honest with me. I'm not I'm not fishing for an answer. What's the honest response? She said, by far honest response it only works when both sides work together it's that simple Mm -hmm. when she said that it was just it floored me because then it it made me realize i gotta be careful with because i do have i'm politically one-sided but if i just start like pushing that one agenda, I'm going to block out these other people who they're going to block from ever uh, uh, trying to reach what we're trying to do. So it's a really tough thing that we're doing right now because we we get sucked up and trapped into that. And then no change occurs that's going to be actually Mm -hmm. helpful to people. It's a a wonderful trick. I feel like they play on us Mm -hmm. and we just feed right into it. And then how do you break out against that? And I think the way that you break out against is what you're doing, which is a really complicated thing of I'm reading news from different sources outside of the United States. I'm trying to make myself be globally minded and that takes some work to do. But when you do it, it's so wonderful. And for me that because I speak more than just English, I connect with people who don't speak English. And then I get those worldviews and I'm getting to sit there and talk to somebody who is from France and saying, hey, we have more than 40 political systems here. We have complex discussions. It's your country that does this really extreme binaryism. That's just part of the way that you communicate. And so thank you for breaking uh, away from that. And then poetry, I think, helps to do that too. Poetry loves complexity. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I dig that, the, the high bun, that's a complex poem, that first one that, and that's what I things I love about it as he's reading. And I'm like, Ooh, that's rich. There's that's, that's There's a lot in there's a lot of thought involved in that. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I love poetry is because you get that rush of, Oh, this is exciting. I'm learning. I'm, I'm thinking hard, rather than that sort of like I'm being told what to think and I turn off and I don't have to actually process anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. it feels but, to me like what happened is that Fox figured out a great business yes. model. And then everybody yeah. else adopted it because they had to to compete. I think that's what yeah. happened. And, and then, even uh, one, yeah.
2: and one, thing, one thing with the poem, I've got to start off. It, the first two words are I'm lying, and the last line is I don't know anything. So I, I'm not coming across that. You know what I mean? That I have the answer. Even in the poem, I'm sort of making fun of myself, going, uh, I'm a little bit confused too, but I want to talk about that confusion.
0: Yeah. Well, very cool. It's a great poem. I'm glad to be sharing it with everybody Thank tomorrow. You. Thanks for, for writing it and sharing it with us, Ron. And, and great to see you. Thank
2: tonight. you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. See you. Bye. Yep.
0: Take care. Uh, yeah, that was Ron Riki with uh, tonight's or tomorrow's poem, I should say. I'm lying in bed now. From Poets Respond. Of course, you can always find these at slash uh, respond Now we're going to take a quick break and go to our main guest for tonight, Nicole Davis. So uh, sit tight, and we will be right back in just a moment. And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. Uh, Like I said, tonight's guest is Nikel Davis. She's a California poet, collaborator, and performance artist who walks the desert with her son, JJ, in search of owl pellets and rattlesnake skins. Her poetry collections uh, include The Walled Wife, um, In the Circus of You, Becoming Judas, and Circe. Um, Her poetry film collaborations with Cheryl Gross have been shown across the world. She has taught poetry at Youth for Positive Change, an organization that promotes success for youth in secondary schools. Um, MHA Volunteers of America and their Homeless Youth Center and with Red Hens Writers in the Schools program um, and She's the creator of the Poetry Circus and a collaborator in the Nevermore Poetry Festival, we'll talk about both of those later, and she currently teaches at um, Paraclete Paraclete High School, she can maybe tell us how to pronounce that, but uh, sure. there she is, Nicole Davis Hey Nicole, how are you doing tonight?
4: Hi, I'm really great, it's great to see you Tim this is like really fun it, I'm I'm really grateful uh, Uh, There was like a little poet green room before we came on, Uh so I got to meet the other two poets, and uh, Ronald got me all scared. He's like, yeah, you're like the main speaker on the Johnny Carson show. (laughs) I was like, the Johnny Carson show? I'm sorry. (laughs) I thought that was really charming. So thank you. It is. Yeah. I was
0: telling you, I think we have to have Ron on because he sounds like he's got, I didn't know he had such an interesting background. So, well, I mean, Mm -hmm. he's got a lot to talk about outside of poetry, which is really cool, you know, and and related to poetry in interesting ways. So we definitely have to have him. But we have you tonight, and I'm so excited for it because you do so much locally, um, a lot of fascinating things. Um, But before we talk about like stuff that you do and all the different ways that you're creative, um, let's read a poem. What do you want to read first? Oh, you're not coming through. Let's say, are you muted?
4: I, I did that. I did that awkward <laughs> thing where I talk and no one hears me Yeah, Sorry, Jim. Uh, yeah, this is from a new project I've been working on. They're like the COVID years, right? I feel mm-hmm. like everyone has the, the COVID poems, so. Um, so the title of the poem actually comes from poet um, Brian Sonia Wallace. So I had a collection of about 20 different poets at this point send me questions about my plant collection because I kind of fell into that uh, COVID. I'm used to teaching like two to 300 students every year. And then, I mean, I was still teaching virtually, but it's not the same. I couldn't helicopter or like fuss over them. So I ended up with about 300 house plants.
0: Like 300. Like, wow.
4: Yeah, I know I, it's a problem. Yeah.
0: Well, the air yeah. quality though in your house must be amazing.
4: <laughs> That's what they say. I, yeah. I think you have to like hit almost like a critical mass to have plants like that. And then it, it's I mean it's it's a problem because I live in the Mojave Desert and I'm like trying to grow a jungle. So it it there's complications to that. So I had the poet send me questions about my plant collection. So. This title comes from Brian Sonia Wallace. Um, How do you um, resuscitate a plant after it freezes? It is getting increasingly difficult to pretend we are talking flora. For plants, it's simple. Bring them inside, leave them alone. If leaves are severely damaged, they die, fall off. New ones take their place. Now people are a little different. Try mouth to mouth with a broken heart. It's a different sort of chill, almost hot, like blood out of the body. The wound from where it came, alive but different. I once fell into the Snake River late November. Invisible pins and needles all over my body. Waves of invisible fire. Dying, I thought, my God, how alive I am in all this heat."
0: Yeah, that's so. great. That's a newer problem. How do you resuscitate a plant after it freezes? Um, and the question coming from Brian Sonia Wallace, who, of course, was on Rattlecast around like one of the early ones. It was like 30, maybe. Uh, he was really fun to talk to about his typewriter poetry going around the world. Um, so so tell us about, about plants, because it's really interesting to me that you got so into plants to have 300 in your house. And there's a way that like... I don't know, there's like a sort of a metaphor in there for poetry, too, is like grooming and growing a garden where it's, you know, there's some kind of way that you sort of cultivate poems. And and so so why do you think you were drawn to to plants at, during the pandemic, of all things?
4: Um, I think I'm like obsessive by nature. And so this became like kind of a collective obsession for a lot of people. And so right before this, I was doing studies on, like I was trying to work on a project, which was kind of inappropriate for me, given like a a whole host of reasons, I think. But I was looking at sort of like um, sex trafficking, um, that sort of subject. And so I was like doing some investigation and going on some like writer ride alongs and stuff like that. And then COVID hit and I just didn't feel like it was appropriate to continue that research. So in some ways, I wish I would have. I mean, there's, you know. So what I found where there were a ton of parallels between um, the sex trade and trafficking plants. So, so plants are the new um, status symbol, right? Cause diamonds can be artificially, you know, um, cultivated. Turns out plants can now too, they've come up with like, you know, ways to, to, you know, Um, clone plants as well. But during the pandemic, there was such a scarcity. And I think also a fear of like the world ending. And so uh, you would have like a album monstera that would sell for 10 to $30,000 for just a piece of the plant. Hmm. And so at a certain Yeah, I know. So then at a certain point, like people were like, um, holding up nurseries at gunpoint. And so you would have to get a dealer who would get you a manager who would like arrange with the nurseries to meet you on the side of the freeway to do a plant, like a plant deal. And uh, so then I started meeting all these plant people. And then there was a whole YouTube phenomenon where there were plant influencers, right? Uh And different plants would like have their star roles in Instagram and stuff like that. And I was just fascinated with what and how we give things value.
0: Mm
4: And then um, I think also like with a plant, you can, um, a plant can live forever because you can just cultivate, you know, you, you can just cultivate from the same plant and then it lives forever. And I think myself included, a lot of us lost, lost a lot of people to COVID and other things associated with it. And so the idea that you could, you know, do the work to make something live forever was also very compelling, so so I fell in deep I got in deep with
0: those plants <laughs> well, it's just besides for you, I hadn't heard about the like plant during covid craze, but there's a weird it occurs to me now it feels very like biblical, you know like mm-hmm. Eden is this walled garden and like our job is to tend the garden and we kind of go back to this little sanctuary where we're like cultivating things and and you know your home is like your refuge. I don't know maybe there's something like deeply psychological about that that's really interesting.
4: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's also complications like in catastrophic thinking is great for writing poetry, but not really great to live in. So there's also this idea of like, if the world is ending, are all these plants going to be resentful because they're all inside where they could have been, you know, and they're in a just, um, just in such an environment that is unnatural for them to be in. Uh, people make fun of me because I like have this new collection of like shark poop. So I guess you're supposed to put shark poop in your water. Like I have like a little formula for how I like feed my plants. And so I like my friends who are a little bit more practical, they're like, what plant in the world like is like, oh, I starve for that shark poop. Like, you know, like <sighs> but it works like shark poop really works. If you want to, you know,
0: help grow your plants. <laughs> so. right. How do you, I, I don't even want, I don't even know. How would you harvest shark poop? Like they have like, I don't know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> such a strange, such a strange thing. Um, yeah. So, so you've been doing this, this um, project and you're writing poems about it Do the, the, cause you're, you have like a YouTube channel, right? That you're doing plant mm-hmm. stuff. Are, how do poems, like, enter that? Are you, like, exposing people to poetry through the plant community that wouldn't read poems otherwise? Is there s- that kind of synergy going on?
4: You know, I thought the synergy was going to go that way, but it ended up, like, euroborosing on itself. It, like, turned inside. And so what ended up happening is instead of, doing a YouTube channel, which I was really earnest in, like I had a director, I had a cinematographer, like we did, we interviewed other artists, because I was also concerned because during COVID, no one could show their art, right? So you have all this artists, but no audience. And so I think also during quarantine, it was a safe way for me to keep connected to an artistic community. But I think what ended up happening is instead of making a YouTube channel, I was making a mockumentary, which I didn't mean to do. I I really went in with all sincerity, like (laughs) I'm going to be a YouTuber. Right. And in the end, like it just ended up like being a satire of itself. And I think the work is more a poem than it is a YouTube channel.
0: Oh, wow. That's interesting.
4: Yeah. So I was interested in how that morphed, like Mm -hmm. it almost like I couldn't help it, you know. So um And I guess what I mean by that is like YouTube is so much about giving the information, like presenting it first. And poetry is about exposing all the things that are under that face. And so the channel that I did with um, Anthony M.R. Salazar, who's like the most amazing collaborator friend of mine. So I have to give a shout out there. Um, Like working with him, I think he has a very poetic vision as a director. And so it just turned into like, Instead of presenting the information, we were just presenting what was underneath it, uh, which didn't make a very successful YouTube channel. I think we had like maybe two people watch it ever, but, <laughs> but that's okay.
0: <laughs> well, that's so. Really cool. so, you know, on par with poetry, I guess, anyway. Um, let, let's hear another poem. What do you want to read? So we have more plant pla- poems um, based on questions. Let's do another one so we can uh, keep the ball oh, okay. rolling.
4: Um. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip down to my very good friend, Katie Manning. So, okay, uh, shameless plug for my friends. So Brian Sonia Wallace has a new um, chapbook coming out with Moontide, Ch- uh, Moontide Press, which you can pre-order now. And then my friend Katie Manning is probably one of the kindest people I know in the poetry world. Um, she does so much to promote other people's work. She's a teacher at um, – Point Loma, she's a very good poet. She also runs uh, Well Road Review. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and she had a book come out just recently about how to play, which is poems based on board games, which I think is great. Um, So this is her question and then I answer it. Um, She asked me if they're watered with tears or blood. an album Monstera goes for about $15,000 online. It's whiteness, even if a disease brings in clients. During quarantine, I had a plant dealer. We'd meet where the 14 intersects with the five. Nurseries held up at gunpoint requires many hands for one cell. Sony plants stolen from native soil, a response to death. Time, what you got for me? I'm willing to negotiate. So long as you don't shoot at the roots of the world. What I am saying is love, I want you even though wanting is the bullet.
5: And that
0: was, will so, flowers grow if they're watered with tears or blood? And that's a question from Katie Manning. And um, so, so I want to go back to, to how you got into poetry in the first place. And, and how, where does poetry fit in the world of like, art and creativity? Because you do so many different things with the festivals that you do and the performance art that you do. Um, how did you become a poet? And, and how does that fit together with all the other things that you do?
4: um i think i should answer this question carefully um so i i definitely grew up in art you know what i mean and um i honestly didn't realize that they were like separate (sighs) i thought they all went together um uh but i think poetry like i think i started out not a poet but was born kind of a poet. So I just kind of like accidentally leaned into it, Mm -hmm. which doesn't make any sense. Cause the thing that actually attracted me to it is that I'm dyslexic. Like I really like words truly move around on me, especially if I'm having like emotions of any sort. Um, So to me, like language wasn't something that was flat, it was alive. And if I wanted it, I had to chase it. Mm -hmm. And so as a, like a small child, I had like this like really strong impulse or visual that it was like chasing a tiger. Like, like all the wild things I ever wanted were in language, and if I wanted it, I'd have to run to go get it. and I think just the fact that it was hard, like it was difficult, I was like, it's the thing I wanted most, which i i, I that probably applies to way too many things in my life that it shouldn't, but um but that that's what did it um it it doesn't feel it never feels dead. It always feels alive, mm-hmm. so. And bigger than me, right? Like, um, I don't feel like I'm in control of it,
6: because
4: hmm. because it I don't I, I like at best at best I can get it to like sit every once in a while, but I can't train it, I can't master it. So yeah. in a way, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Me. For,
0: for me too. I mean, English was my worst subject. I was all. Like the math and science stuff was so easy, and then I like struggled to get good grades in English. and And it's so bizarre to me that I end up here. I hated reading out loud, and now I have to read out loud, live in front of people every like multiple times a week, um, which is very bizarre. And there's some there is something about that. There's a, there's a challenge to it that's like makes you want to dive into the challenge. Which which I've always found so it's interesting to hear that. I don't think I've any, any guests has said that before, but that's how I always felt. Um, and, and I wanted to ask you about, so you, you, the Walled Wife came out in 2016, which is like six years ago. So there's a big gap between books yeah. when you had a bunch of books, like boom, boom, boom coming out. Um, and, and why, why is that? Is there a reason, um, you mentioned, you know, doing that other project and then COVID came, is that why, or is there more to it than that?
4: Well, okay. So, uh, I need to plug my computer in and I think that is the answer to your question. Okay. So obviously... <laughs> chaos uh chaos and me are friends. so here hold okay, on Tim
0: on. yeah well we'll hang on while uh Nikkel is plugging in her computer I'll remind you that if you have any questions for Nikkel you can leave them in the uh, chat windows on Facebook or YouTube I will pass anything along that you want to share uh, we got a whole bunch of comments a lot of people are participating I don't see any question marks yet but if there are any questions <laughs> I will pass them along and Nikkel is back and the computer is plugged in so hi. we're good to go yeah hi
4: if any one of my friends are there they know that's so like uh like a trademark nickel thing right like of course the battery but um so a, a couple of things happen there like i think what happens is i never work on one book at once so i like to have a bunch of projects going at once mainly cuz then i can like really check to see that the voices are different right so this book has this voice and that book has a different voice and it also holds my attention and it also like gives me something, I, this this doesn't sound very good on my character, but like something to cheat on, right? So if one ever feels like work then I have the other one to sort of, I don't know, like escape with, I guess. And then um, I also like, um, so I think the same thing is, the same thing might, ha- if I'm very lucky and the poetry world like finds a little bit of room for me again, uh, Cause I love that room. I love being with poets. I love, you know, I, I, I love whatever that is. It's, I don't know. It's, it's a strange, it's a strange little band of characters and I love being part of it. Um, but at this point I have like about five working manuscripts. I think two of them are done and three are close to being finished. And so now I just have to see if they're working, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think also, um, I didn't, I didn't quite understand the difference between, like, the poetry, I don't want to call it business, because I don't, it's not really a business, like, I don't know how to explain it, but, like, that sort of public poetry world versus the creative part, right? Um, And I don't know, I I just didn't know the rules, (laughs) (laughs) so I felt like I had to, like, um, step back and really figure out why I was doing it and what for and what my motivations were, what my relationship was to poetry. Like, I honestly felt for a while I was getting a divorce. I was like, oh, poetry, right? But it's back in the bedroom now. Uh
0: (laughs) Well, that's great. I mean, I completely (laughs) relate to that because I published with Red Hand 2 a book in 2008, and I never even submitted a poem again for publication for over ten years. I just did. There's a poem coming up in like one art. It's the first time anybody didn't ask me for a poem, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. I'll send him a poem." But um, but but there was a way that for me that like poetry was always just like meditative thing where you just kind of have fun writing, and then you post it on a blog, and it was just fun, and and then the professional aspect of it of having readings and trying to sell books and like getting reviews and hoping you win awards and things that just like killed the like joy of that. Right. Like, cause I couldn't write a poem without thinking like, Oh, I'm going to have to like promote this poem someday. And that was just like the worst. It just killed that like feeling of, of um, just joy that comes with creating something for me.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would get in moments where like my publishers would be so mad because I'd be an anti-promoter i have this weird thing of like either over promoting you know because i'm like ah i should do that or or like people would come to a book reading i'm like don't buy the book i'm so glad you're here right so it's like (laughs) but but it's also being like there's so many moving parts to everything right so so i'd be at readings where i'm like don't buy my book but i knew i knew who my audience was i knew half of the audience like were you know homeless kids you know so So I didn't want any sort of feeling of obligation. And so it's really strange to have this thing that feels so anti I mean, I I don't mean to over dramatize it, but over like uh, anti-establishment, anti-capitalism, anti-business, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to know how to do that. Like I thought I was spending all this time learning how to not do that. And then to really like foster the community and, and your own work, you have to like find a certain level of professionalism.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and I don't even want, I, I, I still struggle with the word professional, like professional what? Like,
0: um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, well, definitely. I, uh, yeah. I feel like that imposter syndrome, you know, like, like mm-hmm. I'm getting paid to do this job. It's so bizarre to me and still is after 20 years of doing it.
4: I know. Yeah. I'm terrible at giving the money. Away, like mm-hmm. any money I make off of poetry, I either give back to the organization or I spend it on. You know, like it's it's just a strange. I should get better at that. Thank you, Tim. This is a great <laughs> session. <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> well, we're uh, we're doing this NFT poems issue, and, and NFT poets are um, you know kind of commodifying it in an interesting way. So maybe maybe dive into that, explore that avenue. Um, but I want to make sure we read enough poems. So let's uh, let's do another poem.
4: Um, okay. Um, so I have, I'm sorry, that goes back to promotion, right? So I have two projects that I need to promote. (laughs) Do you see me trying? It's so, so I have my plant book, which is really dear to me. And then the book that I was cheating on the plants with is this book called the language of fractions, which just got accepted by Moontide Press and will be out in the fall. Um, and backstory to this. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, people either hate it or love it, it's fine. But a friend of mine invited me over and uh she knew that I was docu- documenting like body augmentation and tattooing like sort of like in like intense like subculture stuff with that. And so she she invited me over to her house and she's like, "I have something you'll like." And she pulled out of her dresser a severed woman's belly button. Wow. And Yeah. So I held it in my hand. It took me a long time to figure out what it was. And then when I did, it was just so like, uh, I I don't don't even know how to explain it. But then the book kind of does this deep dive into me having created this imaginary love affair with the woman whose severed belly button I held onto. And so the book kind of looks at what it means to be a woman, it looks at, um, can any person be love wholly, or do we just love people in parts? Like, do we just take the parts that we like and try to ignore the others? You know, like, how, how does love work? And so it's a longer poem, and it's about a woman's severed belly button. So I hope everyone's in for the ride. Here we go. Yeah,
0: well, that's okay. perfect, because we haven't done enough poems, so the long one is good. Okay, and,
4: perfect.
0: We'll yeah, good. And where can people, before you read this, where can they find, so the book's about to come out, um in the spring Mm -hmm. is that what you said
4: i think uh we don't have an exact date but i think we were talking about 2023 fall of that's that's what the discussion is and it'll be at moon tide press which Mm -hmm. is run by eric morago who i think is just like again a cornerstone of the los angeles poetry scene um i like community a lot so i i you know I like to, yeah. So I'm really excited about mm-hmm. that. So, yeah. Oh, good job. You are Johnny Carson. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I just want to make sure people can find it because I didn't yeah. see it. So I wanted to make sure. So anybody can go to Nikelle Davis, uh, that's N I C E L L E. Davis.com or dot net, I should say, mm-hmm. and, uh, and find the stuff as it comes out. But here's belly poem number one from this uh, forthcoming book.
4: Um, belly poem number one She Tells Me I Have Something You'll Like, part one. Opening the French doors of the large wardrobe, she takes out a severed human belly button. The wardrobe stands like a giant eye or one in the room. What she offers from its center drawer, discarded slice of origins, wordless palm, door to the infinite. Yes, I said. I like it. Two. The dried flesh clicks under my fingernail, sound of little feet scurrying out from within the severed belly button. A psychological collapse, this unexpected drum, something like the oddity of holding one's own hand. It is my hand or taut skin making the music. We are touch or touched when it comes to self-soothing. Skin to skin, I can't tell me from her, this her that is no longer hers in becoming mine. In this, something like a fairy tale, something like glass, something like the gorged out eyes of stepsisters, don't you think? What became of the heel? What became of the toes? What do you see in the red Rorschach test of the severed woman's parts? Three, I both recoil and delight at judgment, how it brings all things closer and at the same time further from me. This girl who is not here yet fully present in my hands can gossip summon her spirit back to flesh. Four, in other words, train robber big nose George Parrot became a fancy pair of shoes after he died of dot, dot, dot. In other words, a play is written from the perspective of Magda Gobble's high-heeled shoes made of dot, dot, dot. In other ways, Hitchcock had his belly button removed for many reasons, including a phobia of dot, dot, dot. Five, dot, dot, dot. Here it is. Here it is as I heard it. My friend met her years ago when living in nowhere, Arizona. She describes her as a suburban-looking thing not the type who typically appears unannounced at desert communes. She was after my friend's roommate, a well-known body modifier, a scarification artist. Six, my friend knows me well, knows all about my hours spent documenting body augmentations, that shock of entrance and slip from consciousness. I have a box of portraits showing people going somewhere called pain. It looks like an absence called pleasure. Empty is Nirvana. I shake the photo box for the sound of some one thing rattling there. I shake this skin and hear nothing. Seven, she wanted her mother removed. After days of her not leaving his front door, the body artist resigned to give her what she wanted. Belting her to a table, he injected her with Novocaine and with a hot knife took a palm-sized strip of flesh. She left shortly after telling him to burn the skin. My friend couldn't bring herself to destroy it. My friend kept the navel fresh in the freezer until she had to return to California for her mother's funeral. My friend, whose own mother bled to death in her arms. My friend put it in a velvet box where it shriveled to this object I was holding now, just in case the girl came to get her mother back. Yeah, so excellent. that's the beginning of the saga. <laughs> yeah,
0: and that is a belly poem number one. Uh, she tells me I have something you'll like. So we got the entire story there. And that kicks off the uh, book that's forthcoming again from Moontide Press. Um, there's a question that kind of follow up to the last one. And I can't, too many, I don't know if I can go back to it. Where was it? Um, but somebody asked somewhere, um, if you, um, couldn't publish a poem again, would you still write poems? Which is an interesting question too, because, um, I, I think they're, they're two are tied together. I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but someone said like a poem doesn't live until someone else reads it. There it might've been Frank Dulligan or it might've been some other, I can't remember, but, um, but there is a way that like it once I personally don't care if it's read a lot but then if nobody reads it it doesn't work so I don't know there's some weird thing that I haven't really explored but if you to answer this question if you um, never could share a poem again would you still write them just for yourself
4: I'm going to answer this in slant a little bit so uh, uh, the good thing about it what was it five six year you know um, block between writing books and growing up, growing up is an amazing thing. I r- highly recommend it. I'm working on it every day. <laughs> but uh, I think about things different when it comes to poetry. So, um, and I, I got this from Ron Kerchy, like the little um, plant poems. they can only be a hundred words long. Hmm. And uh, he's such a good mentor teacher. Ron Kerchy, like, thank you a million times over. But having that constraint really kind of fed into like my new obsession, which is like, what do I really have to offer some other human, like another person? Like, um, especially when there's so many important things to say by so by so many people, like I think sometimes the best way, the best way to have a conversation is just to not talk and listen, you know what I mean? So, um, so my palms now are working really hard for the audience and not necessarily for me not like I used to like I think I had an idea that I had to re- be Rambo and be like rebellious and like break the system or whatever like the poem was gonna I don't know be the tool that brought about social justice jo- I don't know what I was thinking but it was a great it was a great run and I really like being that person <laughs> but but now I'm much much more interested in giving something beneficial to another human being and so I think that's one way to think of poetry, which is really different. But I think the truth is like, I'm probably more, I don't know if anyone saw that bad film in the 90s called Quills about the Marquis de Sade, where he's locked in a room with no pens. And so he just starts writing with his own blood and feces. <laughs> so, so I think I'm more like that. Like if if I was to never publish or never have another person see my writing I if I never had another pen I would figure out a way to write um like I can't I don't I I can't imagine not like I if I had if like yeah I can't imagine not like let's say someone came to me and they made a deal like the devil and he's like I'll make you whatever I don't even know what like national poet like poet laureate or whatever right on one book that you'll never be able to write again I would never take that deal Mm -hmm. no like that's that's the devil's work I guess right there that's the trick
0: so that's a that's a good way to put it Um, yeah but before we get too far from it I want to talk more about sort of on this thread but uh, but jumping back to the last poem Dick Westheimer wanted to know if you could talk a bit about the form shifting in the body of that belly poem the way that it moves around the page um how how often do you write in that style and, and why did you choose to sort of move the poem around you know textually like that
4: oh that's a that's a new little trick so it, that goes back to having different voices so the plant poems is like talk straight don't get clever like get as close to your heart as you can 'Cause I like to be clever and sometimes that can really take take the heart out of a poem, you know? But with Belly Button, I did not care about that one bit. I was like, uh, I think Robert Haas has this as like a a way of thinking about poetry, is you're taking one object, sometimes an abstract object even, and you're just circling around it and trying to write about it from every angle. So there's that Kantian idea that you can like Through writing and through shared experience, you can like see the whole of something, which is the sublime, right? Like human beings approaching the sublime. I'm not saying that my poem is sublime at all. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I wanted to look at this like really interesting piece of something, right? Uh, Just like a belly button on its own. And I wanted to like see if I could. So this is part of like, um, there's like five belly button poems and they go into different themes, I guess. But within those themes, it's like, how do you think of this as a linguist? How do you think of this as a scientist? How do you think of this as like a psychologist? Not that I'm any of those things. But for a little bit, I get to be an amateur at that and try to put on these different lenses and try to understand this one piece of something that is so actual and at the same time so mysterious. And that was candy. Oh, my God. I don't know if it's fun to listen to or read, so I apologize ahead of time. But to write it, oh my god! Like I'm, I'm like sad to give that one up. Like I'm, like you have to, you have to let it go. But, um, yeah, so. So that's kind of where the form comes from.
0: Uh, to, to kind of follow up on like all this discussion um, on the poetry space that we do on Twitter, um, we were talking this week about uh, the definition of poetry, and and you're one of those people who poetry is sort of mixed so strongly with with art. Like um, you know, visual art and performance art, video. There's so many layers to it. Um, how do you define poetry? Like, what what makes a poem? What makes something a poem, and and not?
4: Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to this old quote of my dad. So my dad is a potter, a ceramicist, and he told me that art is when you know that you've sculpted something that is impossible to make it through the kiln. Like you know it's gonna break, it's gonna crack, right? So you've pushed the clay and gravity and uh, water past its limits. And then if you put it in the kiln and it survives the firing, then you have a miracle. And that miracle is art.
5: Hmm.
4: So anything, anything other than that is still admirable, but maybe not art, right? And so with language, I, I think it's very, very hard for people to know if they're having a shared experience ever, right? And so poetry to me is that desperate brave attempt to create shared experiences. And so whenever that miracle happens, I think it's poetry. Hmm. And I think because I'm a bit of a scrapper, whatever it takes to get there, I'm willing to do. <laughs> so um
0: well, well let's keep uh we gotta keep poems coming. So uh what poem oh, do you want to read next?
4: Um All right, I just talked about my dad, so I think I want to read a poem from my dad. Um, So this one's called, oh, it's a plant poem too. Uh, The Dying What Does Heaven Look Like to Plants? The monarchs have been off course for years now. Migration shifts where a mistake, like taking a left when you meant right. I continue to amaze people at how long I can drive in a circle without noticing. My father planted me an orchard of silver dollar trees. They grew my kindergarten height. I was harvesting these thin slices of light when a herd, not a herd, but whatever a group of butterflies is called, darkened around me, pulsating cloud, cocooning my body. When I got the call my father was dying, I left the room full of kids I was teaching, just left them like a ghost town. That is, the living seemed spectral to me. I drove the 700 miles to my birth city and thought, I'll just follow if he dies. Just keep driving until I find the way we go when the body stops. When monarchs found themselves lost on me, I stood still as stone, not wanting to crush them. My arms slightly levitated from my sides, moving with breath until a thousand wings began to slow with me. My father didn't die, but is dying. I've gone back to teaching, but teach differently. I tried to bring my son to the monarch path so he might know being covered in migration, but butterflies no longer recognize our planet and move like chaos towards some end. I Googled the name for a family of butterflies, a kaleidoscope, beauty reflecting itself into symmetry. When a plant dies, they grow eyes that can see hearts moving wings or wings moving blood. Let's say the line between left from right dissolves. When my car was crushed from front and back by other cars and I was held at center alive, the traps, I came out walking to and from work, just as the butterflies were dying in mass in the streets of Los Angeles, the gutters glistening with sheen millions of monarchs. Still, I collected their bodies in my purse and carried them home.
0: Yeah, oh, there, home. That was uh, the dying. What does heaven look like to plants? And it reminds me if I was driving in the mountains up here and it, we drove through the Monarch butterfly migration and oh God, like I didn't, I didn't want to drive. I, I didn't know what to do because they were just like all this, oh my God, those are butterflies. And then we, you know, I sat there and like waited a while and slowly, drove. <laughs> <laughs> but, wow. but, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about uh, was just all the things that you do. You mentioned community a lot, and you've mentioned a lot of different poets. And you put together um, um, Nevermore is one of the things that you do in the poetry circuits. I mean, pre-COVID, I don't know. Are there any plans to start that back up? Uh, but but first of all, like, just explain what what you do with that. Um. Well.
4: See how do I want to answer? So so basically, uh, like the poetry circus is definitely my like my baby, and so the idea was to like make a place where people that don't traditionally like listen to poetry kind of wander into it and really really focus on kids, right? So the merry-go-round is there. So it's at Griffith Park, which is the people's park, which has got all this like weird haunted history to it. The carousel at the Griffith Park is like historical. It, it's been in three fires, but hasn't burned down, which is amazing to me. Uh, it's been owned by the same family. It's the place where Walt Disney came up with the idea for Disneyland. Like, it is just truly, I think, one of Los Angeles's most haunted and iconic spots. And so, um, I mean, part of it, like, part of it was like, I bet as a community, we could raise enough money to like have our own festivals. Cause a lot of times there's a lot of red tape and there's a lot of like, there's a lot of things that happen that sometimes make me feel like uh, how to explain it. So, so to have something like that normally is like such a huge budget, like to like do something like that. And I was like, I bet if everyone gives just a little bit, we can actually make something really big happen. So when I say community, like, it might be my baby, but no, I didn't raise it. You know what I mean? So, like, instead of asking for grant money and stuff like that, which we tried to, it was, like, donations from the community, like, 5 to $10 here and there, and then that would accumulate to about $2,000, and then I would throw a $1,000 in with my friends, you know, like, there were other people that contributed. And for the most part, like, I do not recommend this because art has value, Art has tremendous amount of value and it never gets paid. You know what I mean? But sometimes you want to make something and you don't want to have like money and resources get in the way of making something beautiful with your life and in your life. Right. And so on a three thousand dollar budget, the poets would volunteer like the Bob Baker marionettes would come in for super discounted price the owner of the carousel was always super gracious and gave way more than he needed to you know like so everyone gave in money but they really gave in labor and talent and um and it just was like magic like truly like i'm so grateful i got to experience that um i am working on different projects now i probably won't do another poetry circus uh julio who was the owner of the Carousel actually passed away during um, COVID, and I I cannot explain how he was such an integral part of that um, experience for me. So at this point, I think it's just a it's a good sign to like give it its due respect, and then like start creating something new. And honestly, like, I really want to do something in Lancaster, Palmdale. Like, I feel like I've driven down to the city. I'm sure you feel that way sometimes, Tim, too, right? Like, like, there's so much effort to, like, sort of contribute more and more to the synergy of Los Angeles. And then I feel like there's a lot of talent and people surrounding the city that, like, don't, it doesn't come back, right? So I would love the idea of, like, creating a citywide poetry festival in I don't want to say the most forgotten place in Los Angeles, uh, County, but you know what I
5: mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, the same thing for, for Wrightwood here. That's why we do the Wrightwood arts festival. And we started the Wrightwood arts center to try to, um, you know, just there's, there's so many interesting people here that, that just since they're not in LA, you know, it feels like so far away from, from, you know, what matters somehow, but, but it's, um, there's just great people doing really interesting things here, too, and, and in Lancaster-Palmdale area as well. There's, there's just so much going on, especially as you get out away from L.A., weirdly, where it's like the, the you know, more unusual people kind of congregate. Um, you never know what's going on around here. So definitely a cool idea. Um, one of the things I want to ask you about, about the, the poetry screen things, I remember when you, you asked me if I'd come at one point and I said like um like I'm not that kind of poet like I feel very uncomfortable like I like I want to be like hidden behind the page you know I like being in the background uh weird now that I'm doing a podcast and that my face is here all the time I've kind of gotten used to it even though I don't like it but um but but do you think there are two kinds of poets like that? Because I do feel like there there in a way there is. There are like p- people who are like performative and like that their voice is out there, and then there are people who like feel like they don't have an outlet for their voice, and so directed toward poetry. And it feels like a way upstream split between the two. And I, I wondered after I I just happenedly say that to you, I, I was thinking about that more. And like, is that a real thing or is that just my imagination? Like, do you did you love the idea of going in and doing the poetry circus? Because that's like part of your personality or is it something that you did as like a sacrifice? Cause to me, it would be a sacrifice to, to be that like out outward, <laughs> you know? All right. So, so oh. is it something that you did in, in, you know, in service to poetry? <clears throat> like, how do you think of it?
4: Okay. Okay. Don't get mad at me, but I'm going to like turn the question on you, Tim. Cause like, <laughs> okay. You are an amazing reader. If anyone hasn't heard Tim read, you've got to find a moment to do it. Like you do the hard work of memorization you like find the cadence and the music and thing, and then you also figure out a way to make it conversational. Like maybe maybe it's to compensate for the fact that it feels like a sacrifice and work, but you truly are a joy to listen to when you read. And then the Wrightwood, like the Wrightwood festival, is like I crave it. Like I like put it in my calendar and I look forward to it every single year. You know what I mean? So this built-in like community and like like you said, like just kind of showcasing the fact that we're not this forgotten like forbidden zone right like there's real people doing real things out here and so I I think that's probably true maybe for you that I don't know I'm not I don't live inside your body or your mind Tim but um I think it might be a challenge for you but I also think part of you likes that challenge and so that's just a different relationship with it Mm -hmm. so with the poetry circus I would do I I mean diversity in in any way that I could think of it, you know what I mean? Because there are different types of poets, like there, there are definitely, I mean, the same way that there's extroverts and introverts, like that kind of energy hits you in a different way. But I think all people crave and love shared experiences and energy, mm-hmm. right? And how we get there might be really different. But I think we all can get to that place, I guess. And so, like, um, parts of the circus felt really natural to me. Uh, my dad, like, Prom- like was a concert promoter and I kind of grew up, I don't know, at a lot of parties. I don't know how else to explain that, you know, but, um, so something about that was natural to me, but it also feels like work. Mm-hmm. But the trick for me is I love work. Like I think work looks beautiful. And um, I think that's something that uh, Los Angeles is, like Los Angeles likes to make everything look like nobody did any work, but it all happened, right? Mm-hmm. But I can guarantee you everything that happens in LA like took extreme amounts of work to get it to that place, right? They just hide the work. So it just looks like natural perfection. Um, And I'm not really into that. Like I actually like showing people how much work it is. Like when you come to the circus, like I don't look perfect. I'm like sweating, I'm carrying like, you know what I mean? Like I like to actually show the work of it. Um, And so, I think that goes back to, like, everyone, I think we are too quick to put people in a, a set category, and that is, that is anti-poetry, that's mm-hmm. anti-life, you know what I mean? Like, you you can't just say that you're a page poet, because there's no such thing. And you can't just say that you're a performance poet, because, I mean, both suffer if you don't approach each, right? Mm-hmm. and. I think you'll always like one more than the other. Like, you'll you'll never believe this, but I love the page more than I like the stage, whatever, however you phrase that, I will always love the page more. Um, but I like people, right? And it's like a good excuse to get people together. Um, so everyone's doing it for a different reason, but I think that's not such a bad thing either. And there's different variations of that. I go through phases too, right? I think that we all are changing, so. Mm. Hopefully that's,
0: like, liberate yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, I like doing the, I like doing the <laughs> festival, but I don't like, you know, sitting at the booth and talking to people. And I don't like, oh, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, arranging and having, I like watching people. Like, I love that there's, like, groups of people from, like, the Wrightwood Literary Festival when he had that at the camp where, like, they're still friends, like, 10 years later. And, like, a little group, there's a group of them in San Diego that still meet. To, to share poems just because they met here and realized, oh, we're all from San Diego. I think that's really cool. Um, but I don't like, to, I like to be in the background.
4: <laughs> yeah. but um. Well, I think that's like the good work. Like the, if people are gathering and like forming like really like solid and meaningful relationships, like good work, Tim, you know okay. what I mean? And like last time I was at the Wrightwood Art Festival, first of all, I saw some of the people I love the most. But on top of it, I'm wandering around and I ended up like sitting next to, woman who is in charge of like the mars rover right and i'm like what 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 is my life right now right so it's i mean you just never know like um and i I think that's the other thing to like be mindful of like don't anticipate an outcome because it's not gonna look like what you think it is (laughs) right like being a great artist doesn't mean seeing one thing and making it come out exactly as you saw it being a great artist to me is like you get this idea and then it turns into something else, and you can love it just as much, you know? So I'm trying to do that with my kid right now. It's very uh-huh. difficult. But
0: <laughs> sorry. So so you mentioned new projects. What um, Along those lines, what do you have lined up? Is there anything you can let us know about, or is it still too much in the works?
4: Um, sure. I should like, give some dates. So um, I've been collaborating with the MOA, which is our county art museum up here in the antelope valley and we've got this the moa is actually closed down it's like a beautiful museum but it's closed down for the next year for renovation so they've got this thing called moa on the move and so you can look it up online because i'm not sure what the dates are but basically i'll be going to different parks and kind of like doing um that sort of mesh up where you can do art and poetry and uh I'm, I'm, I just put the proposal in, so I hope that this happens. I might just be teasing you, or I might just like fund it myself if they don't fund it. But the question is, what is the Antelope Valley? And so one of it is it's a commuter city. So I want to staple together put by a canvas and then have people use remote control cars to drive out, like make a painting of commuting using remote control cars, and then do like a poetic response to... like the motion of that like you know uh, and so I, I truly believe that writing starts experientially so I thought that was like when you were talking about Ron and how he has so many stories outside of poetry like I one of the best pieces of advice that I got from an editor earlier on is like don't write poems live like a poet and then the poems will come after and so um so it's more stuff like that, like the experiential stuff. So those will be um at three different park locations in the Antelope Valley. Um let's see, there's the new book coming out with Moontide. Um I think I think that's what I've got in the works for the next three months or so, but I'm I'm always plotting. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, let me fix this second so show it on screen one second because I lost let's see where is there's a good then i get your voice too and the thing okay so this is a it's moa it's m-o-a-h museum of art and history right is that right No, yeah, that's right yeah yeah that's right okay so if anybody wants to find it it's uh lancaster moa org, and um there's there's information here about all the moa on the move stuff um so um, anyway, we have uh, maybe, I don't know, t- I can't remember when we started, but we have about 10 minutes left, I think. Um, and we have like two whole projects that you shared that you haven't talked about at all yet. There's so much stuff that you do. There's the elephants. And then there's also um, the, the game, the, what was it? The, the one that's instructions the on a game. game thing, the map game, which is like, makes me think of the squid game. So do you want to yeah, share yeah, yeah. either it's of Yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> sure, this is like yeah. a poem that's like instructions to a game. So and this is, says it's coming out February twenty twenty three. So uh, do you want to explain what this is so people can find? Oh
4: yeah yeah yeah. Okay. So the document that I sent you is for a journal called a, um,
0: a dozen nothing.
4: Oh, a dozen nothing. There Thank you. Go. I'm yeah. so sorry. I just froze up. I really like those editors. So if anyone's like looking for a place to contribute or to read, um, like they do a phenomenal job. So, um, so that's coming out next month, I guess. So. Um, but that's actually part of a different, everything's part of a different project. So um, it's it's part of the book that's coming out with Moontide Press, which is the language of fractions. And so beyond the belly button, there's other poems. There's like how love is defined at different ages. I also, I used to do this, um, I used to do this like domination, like poetic dominatrix um, act where um it was based off of a nineteen fifties charm school teachers notebooks. And so I like get possessed by the by this the charm teacher, and then I teach men how to be women poetically on stage, which I, I really want to resurrect that and do that some more. But the final section of the book is this thing called the map game. So when my kid was growing up, he hung out with these other smart little kids and they would YouTube natural disasters, the Titanic, 9-11. And then they would start coming up with ways that they could save people or save themselves. And then they started making these maps. Like they'd physically draw these maps. Um, So they'd have like the first dangerous thing on earth or zombie poo bear or cannibal Turkey that eats humans for Thanksgiving. And they also had like that acid rainforest. And so they would, they would make this map with drawings and then they'd go out and they would pretend to like, dodge the acid rain or they you know do all these things that really kind of translated into like all the large-scale tragedies that they were born into right like if you're born into a broken world how do you approach it and so there's the world and there's their translation of the world and then the poems are my translation of their translation Mm -hmm. um and like I have dreams of like having it be its own board game. So instead of like, um, instead of reading the book, you play the book, right? So it can have a little bit of chaos to it. So that's that's another little project. So that's that's what those are. And thank you for asking. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Do you want to read a section of that, maybe? So or or not.
4: Um, I would love to if you can stall for me while I pull up the document really quick.
0: Yeah, I can definitely stall. One thing I'll say, um, this is a from a dozen nothing coming out just uh like two days from now, I guess. It says February twenty twenty three, and um, uh, let me see, let me find the website. A dozen nothing. Um, here's it's a dozen nothing com, I believe. Yeah, a dozen poets, one month, nothing more. So a simplistic. Uh, a, a website here, um, a, a sort of a minimalism, a dozen poets and that's it every month. And uh, one of them coming up in February is Nikel. So is that yeah. enough stalling for you?
4: <laughs> that was awesome. Okay, great, great, great. Job. Okay. great. All right. So I'm going to read two little short ones from this. So the map game obstacle one, the first dangerous thing that ever lived on earth. The first dangerous thing that ever lived on earth was happy rolling across mountains with 18 machete legs wagging its hammer tail while poison dribbled liquid rainbows down its abdomen. It formed iridescent trails as its sneaky finger tickled itself with central antennae. Its eyes divided and redivided saw color as viewed from a vibrating bed. It slept on rivers and dreamed of currents. When it talked in its sleep, water kissed its forehead in gratitude for speaking its unspeakable names correctly. When the sun rose, he bid it good morning. When the moon lilied, he told it good night. All was good until the first harmless thing that ever lived on earth arrived. And so the second one I'm gonna read is, guess what? The map game obstacle to the first harmless thing that ever lived on earth. The word pray and pray fill my mouth with the same shape. Mouth opens on the sound as if to take in food, water or a full kiss a harmless thing is made for desire. It's nature, an open valley, its interior cupped hands extended with gestures of offering. It says, take my emptiness, a space for companionship, a hole that is whole self and yearning for acceptance. There is nothing more dangerous on earth than the first harmless thing that ever lived there. So oh, that's,
0: Mm-hmm. yeah and again that's two two poems from uh the map game from a dozen nothing which you can find at um a dozen they have the january stuff up right now emily petite was the last person so i assume the next one is going to be Nikel probably in two days so check that out at a dozen then you also sent um you also sent elephant and which is another book so you just have so many stuff so much stuff that you do so to tell us about elephants too before you go
4: Thank you. So Elephants actually was a chapbook that came out with um, uh, Jeremy from, oh, I'm going to get the press name wrong. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. So anyways, it it was a book. um, It was a whole chapbook series that he did on animals, and um, we did it as a fundraiser. We ended up raising $5,000 for the Tennessee Elephant Sanctuary Mm -hmm. doing this little chapbook. But that little chapbook is part of a bigger project called The Precipice of Extinction, which I'm almost done with that book. So that book has like penguin noir where the penguins of like sea world are like gangsters and they're like (laughs) killing each other for space in the little like pen that they're in. And then there's another section that's just devoted to elephants and the study of elephants. Um, There's a section that kind of looks at uh, animal, uh, animal extinction and human beings like interaction with that. Part of the the poems are about my kid experiencing puberty for the first time and how I deal with it by enrolling us in taxidermy classes at the Natural History Museum. Bad idea, bad idea. Um, So I guess it's a whole project that's looking at humans' relationship to extinction. And then uh, my partner, Cheryl Gross, she did a movie on it. So you you can see that on YouTube. So the book isn't quite done yet. But our um, film collaboration, The Precipice of Extinction, that's up for views. And I would love for you guys to give that some love because, man, Cheryl, Cheryl pours her whole heart into that. And then I love the voice, like the voices, the voice actors on that are some people that I really love and admire. And then the music, like it, it's um, like uh, original composition. So, so it's, a, it's a little piece of something that I love. So. Um, so right now, I guess those are the three books that I'm focused on. So there's, um, <clears throat> belly button poem is actually titled, uh, the language of fractions. And then the other poem is called ours, ours. So honeypot that's in a uh, rattle. Thank you so much for giving that space. That's from the plant book. Mm-hmm. So it's looking at ours as an O U R S shared experience versus ours. A R S as in like what it, what a poem is. And so it plays with those concepts. And then the final one is the precipice of extinction was, which is looking at our relationship to how we kill things. I, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely a lot going on. Um, and, and that kind of makes sense. The, the, you know, the first books came out in a flood and then a break and then another flood, I guess. Do you, do you want to read one of the poems from elephants?
4: Uh, yeah, sure. Sure. If you can stall for me again, Tim, you're the best. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah,
0: no problem. So, uh, yeah, elephants. Um, and actually I'll stall by looking at the art and also tell me like what page it's on, if you can, if you're looking at the book itself, but we'll look well, yeah, at the absolutely. art while you do, cause this is, um, beautiful artwork. Um, and the artwork is by, uh, once again, um, Cheryl gross. Um, so Cheryl yeah. Gross here and these are just beautiful, um, illustrations of, um, elephants Doing all sorts of interesting things. Uh, this one is uh, what is he even doing? Is, is he exercising? I'm not sure. Or playing Or riding some kind of bicycle while playing a strange instrument. There's so much going on in these in these pictures. Um.
4: <laughs> yeah, Cheryl's my favorite. Like uh, uh, I just okay. So um, so I'm gonna do Dumbo visits his incarcerated mother, which is based off of the Disney movie, right? And so um, Dumbo visits his incarcerated mother. It begins with a mother's eye. Lids pulled shut, a living death. A small trunk emerges between bars. Her look rounds to joy. Running towards him, the clang of her chains chime like all the keys of this world dropping. Unable to pull close enough to see, she grasps past what is known. Her trunk caresses and cradles. In the sway of touch, the boy smiles and cries at once. A choir of women sing, Baby of Mine. Other mothers are seen in cages with their babies. Prison isn't prison so long as it doesn't separate families. He must leave before morning wakes. They can't be caught holding on beyond walls. He turns once before going. Her trunk remains outreached in the direction of his leaving, never losing its top pole towards that little form becoming smaller as he walks into that rousing horizon. Unable to catch him, Should he fall from that unending sky? She keeps reaching.
0: Excellent. That was a Dumbo visits his incarcerated mother from uh, elephants. Um, And one last question, which is the perfect one um, to close up on. Sarita Martin says with so many balls in the air, when do you sleep?
4: (laughs) Uh, I'm in therapy for that. So um, So uh, the honest answer is, and anyone that knows me really well knows that I suffer from intense insomnia, Mm -hmm. So, um, but I don't recommend it.
0: Yeah. Well, I (laughs) I did too for the longest time, and I started taking melatonin, which I found out that- Oh, Look. Yeah?
4: Oh, go ahead. What's the secret?
0: No, I just, I realized my body doesn't make any, (laughs) and so I can take like like a shit ton of it. Yeah. And, uh,
4: we'll advertise this. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Without that, I, you know, know, I used to try other things, which I guess in California we could talk about, but maybe we shouldn't, but, um, (laughs) but melatonin replaced all those. So, um, that works nicely. But yeah, so um, definitely poetry does come from insomnia. I, I used to be a nighttime writer, poet, and now I'm like, a, I, any time of day is fine because I actually sleep a little bit. So that's good. Um, yeah. But Nicole, thanks so much for being a guest. There's so much fun stuff that you do. Uh, it's really fun talking to you about poetry and all these different things, and all these different ways you attack it. Um, thanks for being a guest. Oh
4: my gosh, this is so fun. Thank you, Tim. I really like
0: you. Thanks. That's <laughs> awkward. Thanks, bye. Awesome. <laughs> thanks a lot. Well, have a good one, Nicole.
4: Okay, you too. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it was Nicole Davis. Um, and then you can find more of Nicole's work, of course, on her website, which is NikkeleDavis.net, right? Let me double check that it's net. Double check that it's net. Where would it go? Yeah, NikkeleDavis.net. That's N-I-C-E-L-L-E, Davis.net. So find all these projects and more, especially coming up throughout the rest of the year when all these new books that she's working on are coming out. So um, that is the uh, featured guest for tonight. We have open lines, as we always do. Let me tell you how that works. The Open Mic Show. Email your poem first to openmic, that's openmic at rattle.com. Email it to me there, and then I can show it on screen like I was doing with all the guest poems tonight. You can be on the screen, too, and we can see all your poems as you read them. Email it to openmic at rattle.com. Now, I'm grabbing the Zoom link. And only if you want to share a poem. If you don't want, if you just want to listen to poems, stay right where you are and watch the poems along because it's a better place for your viewing pleasure. But if you would like to uh, share a poem, and probably just one poem tonight, but we'll see. Um, follow this Zoom link, which I will pin in the chat windows on Facebook and YouTube. You can jump in this Zoom and share a poem if you would like. Um, and I will be uh, once I finish doing that. I will be right back with uh, the open lines. So thanks a lot, and uh, see you in just a minute. Back. thanks for your patience like i said uh the open lines are coming up if you'd like to share a poem i think uh like i thought we have a good number there's 14 people here on the zoom already i um, usually coming more people trickling at the end so let's definitely make it a one poem show for the open lines the prompt for this week was to and i should say too if you uh You can share poems about current events. You can share poems uh, that have been published recently and you want to share, especially if you include the um, link to the website where it appears. That's always a lot of fun. Um, We can show off the journal, too, at the same time. Or you can share a prompt poem. And this week's prompt was to write a poem about a phone call you wouldn't actually make. So last week's guest was uh, A.E. Hines, and he has three poems that lead off each section of his book, um, Any Dumb Animal, uh, which have these phone call poems. So that was the inspiration for the prompt this week. And here is my poem, which is a Villanelle. Um, and I think the, the question of who... We also talked with A.E. Hines, too, about uh, me being estranged from my father, because A.E. Is, is strange too. And so that kind of made the obvious choice um, what to write about. Um, but I twisted a little bit just to try to make it a little more interesting. And uh, here we go with my Villanelle. Phone call to myself at 42. After years, it's time to call your father, to finally end that fight. There was no purpose after all, your disagreement so banal. Could either one of you be right? After years, it's time to call and put an end to being small. You both can grow to grown-up height. There was no purpose after all, the silent ways you found to brawl that turned your golden days to night. After years, it's time to call him back, to tear apart the wall that's only held up by what spite there was. Not purpose. After all, every father has to fall, or else his shadow blocks the light. After years, it's time. So call. There was no purpose after all. So that is my phone call that will not actually be sent. Um, and uh, I see the heart from Nate Jacob. Thanks so much, Nate. Um, and it should go in the order um people appear. Uh, so first up is Dick Westheimer. Hey Tim. Hey, Dick, how are you doing tonight?
8: Good, man. I'm just like, it'll be, it'll be a hard time sleeping tonight with all that energy from the, uh, second poets respond, um, poet. And then, uh, Nicole, Nicole, N- N- Nicole. Uh, you...
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
8: Just charged up. Yeah, definitely.
0: I, I was worried a little bit. I could keep up. Cause I know about Ron. I know about Nikel. I knew it was going to be, I'd have to, uh, I had to get a good night's sleep for this episode. So, um, But uh, what would you like to share today?
8: Uh, Well, I was going to do my On the Streets of America, The Rule of Threes Meets Chekhov's Gun, but it's a little long and you have a lot of people, so I think I'll do my prompt poem that I emailed in.
0: Okay, great. Is that friend-demented?
8: It is friend-demented.
0: Excellent. And I have it right here. Is there anything else you want to say about it before you read?
8: No, I think it's pretty clear. Anybody who's had a friend who's had or relative who's had serious mental health problems will relate a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Friend demented. It's not that I don't love her, I do. It's not that mania is new to me, it's not. It's not that I blame her, I don't. But another call where I need to put down the phone walk away listening for the pauses and none come where the bellow song is on repeat the tape hisses like a steam radiator wows and flutters and ramp whammy bar time with her moods fast cycling from one word to the next anger pleading her laugh a rusty saw ripping me to shreds even from across the room I want her to have someone to talk to, to be part of her mending, but I am not that man. And even if I was, I am not that man. Yeah,
0: excellent poem, Uh, Friend Demented. Dick, always a pleasure. Uh, That was a great one. Yeah,
8: thanks, Tim. Yeah, thanks much
0: for sharing it. Yeah, Dick Westheimer with uh, Friend Demented. Let's go up next to, um, let's go to, okay, we'll go to Katie Dozier next.
9: Hey, Tim. How are you? Good. How
0: are you doing tonight, Katie?
9: I'm doing great. I'm all psyched to to take my melatonin later, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's the secret. Maybe it's the secret to poetry. I don't know. But uh, it definitely solved, solved my issues. Um, so, so you, what do you have for us tonight?
9: Well, I love the prompt, and I went a little crazy, so I sent two, so I'll just pick one. I also wrote a haiku sequence that didn't make the cut, didn't make the email, it was not good, so I spared you guys
0: that at least. So uh, so which one do you want to read? I have um, I have landline and I have dial tone and uh, and you maybe need some melatonin to slow down, I think. I hear you write yeah, I do many you read poems very a day. Fast. Yeah. I'm gonna
9: try <laughs> and i read fast and I write too many poems. That's my story. All right, um, I guess I'll go with landline and then possibly regret choosing that poem later. We'll see. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Landline, here I'll call the thought that pecks away the years, take it all back, every thread. Unknot the scarf I knitted, rip off the cashmere strand. Even the sun could never understand why you peeled off my warmth just as you grew colder. But a bird flutters, hovers, above the old forest floor, scanning for woven words to knit a new nest. Draped on a wall, he pecks and pulls up the fallen yarn, adds tin cans to the ends. And now he chirps a call.
0: Yeah, that was excellent. That was a landline by Katie Dozier. And we mentioned uh, talking about on our poetry space, Katie and I do a poetry space on Twitter every Thursday at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And that's like a big group call. You have to have the Twitter app to participate. I saw somebody when we mentioned it earlier asking how to find it. And so how to find it is to find Katie's uh, Twitter handle, which is Katie. I'll put it up on the screen because it was right here, which you helpfully included. Katie underscore Dozier. That's how to spell it. Katie underscore Dozier. D o z i e r. That's uh, that's the thing. And so we talked. It was a lot. It's just a lot of fun having these like freewheeling conversations. I had no idea. So thanks for the idea for doing it, and then also um, and for coming up with the topics. Next week's topic coming up is uh, writer's block. So um, <laughs> I know that's something that you do not suffer from.
9: Yeah, I feel like I'm um, feel like i well-versed on this one. I think usually you have a lot more to say, but maybe I'll have even more to say than you. Well, I
0: don't know. It could go either way because <laughs> uh, you could have no experience whatsoever with writer's block.
9: <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. Or I studied so obsessively well that I just combated it. I was aggressive, so I didn't need a defense kind of. That's it.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out on the space. So you have to have Twitter. Well, you don't have to have Twitter to find it. It's still, you can listen to it. You have to have Twitter to participate. It's like a free reeling phone call. So uh, so join us then on Thursday. But, but good to see you, Katie. And thanks for sharing that poem.
9: Thanks for a great night, Tim. Yep. Take care.
0: Bye. Yeah. Once again, that was Katie Dozier with uh, Landline. And then she had another poem, Dial Tone, which maybe we'll read another day. Let's go next to Nate Jacob.
10: Hey, good evening, Tim.
0: Hey Nate, how are you doing tonight?
10: I'm doing great. How hey, are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, and you are somebody who has found that uh, the poetry space over on Twitter. It's a lot of fun. It is. I had no idea. Like it, it's like Clubhouse, and they stole Clubhouse. It's <laughs> a app. bit of
10: the Wild West in some but ways. It too. is. Yeah,
0: it's really fun. I've jumped on like other stuff too. Like you can like people just talking about stuff. People yeah. that you like think that uh, are out of your league because they're like you know have a million Twitter followers. You can jump on and like join the discussion. <laughs> it's interesting. I um, love it. But uh, but anyway, and and not, not that, that I'm in anyone's league, but um, so anyway, Nate, what do you have to share with us tonight?
10: Hey, I uh, I failed to write anything new this week, so I'm uh, sharing a poem that was published earlier this month, uh, at Lothlorian Poetry Journal.
0: Lothlorian Poetry Journal, is it senseless joke?
10: It is senseless
0: joke. Okay, let me see, try to see if I can find this. So you didn't include the link. But maybe we can maybe Google will know. Because I do like to show off the journals. Let's see. Sorry yeah. about that. Oh no, it's no problem. Um and and I can't find it. What's it called? Loth. Loth...
10: Lothlorian. I know. L-O- <laughs> anyway, let's skip it. Let's skip it. But yeah, so so um
0: an interesting journal. Find it at Lothlorian or something or other.
10: Lothlorianpoetryjournal.com. dot Lothlor...
0: com. I wanna find it. Lethorian Poetry Journal. If I keep talking, well, it's not dead air.
10: While you're looking, I'll just explain. This poem um, was written about eleven months into my long COVID, where I lost taste and smell uh, completely. So it's uh, it describes that experience a little bit, the frustrations of that.
0: Oh wow, that is interesting. I lost my sense of smell too, and it turned out to be a uh, just the flu. Uh, oh really? And not COVID? Because uh, <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's definitely COVID. And then uh, it was the weirdest experience though. It was like I felt like there was a hole, like a black hole of nothing in my head, like right dead center. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. it's bizarre. How long? Did, yeah. How long did you lose it for?
10: Uh, Twelve and a half months.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, that, that sure beats foodie. like three days. Which is how yeah. I was a
10: big foodie, so it was really, really a challenge.
0: Yeah, uh, and a friend of mine said afterward that – because he had the same thing and lost it for a long time. And then when it came back, he now hates the smell of fried onions, which used to be his, like, favorite food. So he can't go to any restaurants or anything, and it's, like, it's terrible. Do you have anything like that?
10: Uh, For the first month or so coming out of it, I couldn't stand the smell of Starbucks. Oh, wow. It smelled like burning rubber and –
0: Oh, wow. That is so weird how that works. I guess your brain, like, rewiring itself or something.
10: Well, I never claimed to have a brain.
0: <laughs> we All right. Well, a perfect uh, segue to a senseless joke. So you want to go ahead and read that?
10: <laughs> you bet. A senseless joke. My son told the one about the blind man wildly swinging his seeing eye dog by the tail in the middle of some china shop, a joke which has awakened in me a certain level of senseless indignation since, as you know, I lost my sense of smell a year ago. And his faithful companion, Taste, too, both agreed to stay away as long as it would take for me, their former host, to come at last to my ever-loving senses, though I don't know how. Now I wonder why I don't have a smelling-nosed cat, leading out on a stylish leash, sniffing at the breeze, keeping me safe from gas leaks of all kinds, alerting me to fresh donuts and warm bread, steering us wide of people with body odor. And how am I yet without a tasting tongue lemur, its refined palate tuned to sample my foods, giving me certain cues for when I should moan in gustatory ecstasy because the rosemary dances or when I should spit out the salted, not sugared coffee. My wife, too, is seeking relief and companionship in the in form of the rarely seen listening ear tortoise because after five months of inner ear infection, she hardly even attempts to listen to my complaints about the bland, uninspired fare at the new Italian place. Mind you, it hasn't deprived her of hearing, not entirely. She has simply sat patiently for too long now, in her own pain, nodding with me in feigned agreement about how weak the bouquet of lilac blooms was this spring, and how mild is the normal haze and stench of the sugar beet harvest. That tortoise could respond instead, slow and considered, to my never-ending rants about how my once-charmed life has lost so much of its savor of late, how so little makes sense. With her ears free of my complaints, she can enjoy her carbonara while I at last have the tortoise, who seems sympathetic to me.
0: (laughs) That's fun. Thanks so much for sharing that, Nate. I'm glad you could have fun with that, and I'm glad you got your sense of smell back eventually survived yeah. excellent well, I'm, we're all glad you did uh, thanks for sharing that excellent poem <laughs> as always you. yeah Bye. yeah that was Nate Jacob with a senseless joke uh, next up we will go to Carla Schwartz hey Carla I think you're hm you're not on mute but your microphone might not be plugged in
11: no no I am I now I'm here right <laughs> yeah, you are we can hear, you, we okay, can hear uh, you now hey Carla how are uh, you doing sorry. this evening I'm good I'm good I had a faulty red light showing on my microphone but <laughs> it's gone <laughs> um so yeah what a night um i this poem i i actually dredged up a poem and revised it with the prompt in mind it's not as it's subtle uh, as far as making a phone call goes uh-huh. but this is it
0: okay let's hear it.
11: <laughs> what i would say today The first time I Google Jay, enter Jay Watson, too common. So I try a phone lookup, Massachusetts, bingo, several towns listed, including my own. I might have stood behind him at the market, might have collected his concert ticket. So why today do I seek to learn whatever became of Jay? Am I thinking of calling after all these years? I walk away from the computer, return, Google again. This time, J. Watson Framingham shows up, but I land on one of those legacy pages attached to an obituary, dead three months, last Christmas Eve, suddenly. I might, it might have been drugs, could have been suicide, I know it's him. Several loving loving memories mention his company, the company he ran 30 years ago when he was my bossy boss, his mucousy voice, an angry river. Driven by money, drugs, girls, he shared but demanded. I was a girl, a girl Friday, reception. I still remember the yeasty smell, The girth of his penis as wide as a bouquet his hand pressed on my head like an espresso machine sickly sweet seed between my teeth so now you're dead jay and it's too late for me to call to say i'm not 19 anymore it's not me who wears the shame
0: Wow, powerful poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, uh, Carla. <laughs> Thank That, that definitely you. was, and, and not where I thought it was going to go, but it went to a very powerful place. Yeah, thanks for sharing that.
11: Thank you very much. Yeah,
0: great poem. Take care. That was uh, Carla Schwartz with what I would say. Um, next up, let's go to
5: Mary Ann Ebdo. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? So I sent you two of them for the poets respond. Mm-hmm. One was the devoiding of human beings. So let's go for a little lighter one. This is called Water Ice is Struck Again. And Water Ice is a handle that this promoter in Philadelphia uses on his Instagram page. Mm-hmm. And he was like showing all parts of Philadelphia. And as we all know, Philadelphia fans get a little crazy. Yeah, Definitely. So my sister was at the game, too, showing like the different texts and different things going on. And the screen panned over to Bradley Cooper and the owner, which is Jeff Lurie. And they're very good friends. Brad is a really big Philadelphia. He's from the Philadelphia Mm -hmm. area. So this is my take on the game from last night. Interesting. Okay. Water ice has struck again is another scene in the Philadelphia movie genre a pre-screening that Jeff, Bradley, and the rest of the fans anticipate. Texting between the sisters three, one sister flew into the Eagle stand, landing in that southerly Patterson Street destination, sending songs and shouts in the stadium thanks to her trusty apple in hand, while the other two cheered on from the technology sidelines. Touchdown after touchdown, Roar after mighty roar, rocking the streets, filtering out past Lincoln's Park, as only eagles know how to soar over that goalpost. Fly, eagles fly. High above the sight of William Penn, the green and white will overcome greasy poles once again. Dancing and fireworks will commence on the south abroad. Mr. Wooderice, you have done it again. You alone have captured the hearts of brotherly love on your Instagram page in every spectrum of those rich cultural colors and celebrations. So, onward, Eagles, as you fill those cardinal red skies of Arizona, lead us on to victory.
0: Oh, thanks for sharing that, man. Witter Ice has struck again. Who you got the uh, in the Super Bowl? Who do you think the Eagles are going to take, take on the uh, Chiefs? I think the.
5: How irony ir- 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 that is because the Chiefs is Andy Reid, which used to be the Philadelphia. Yeah, that's true. That's a Eagles. great
0: storyline. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah.
5: So we'll see how it plays out. We are.
0: I'm just still sad about the terrible. Uh, terrible effort that the Bills put in against uh, Dick Westheimer's Bengals. That was, uh, that was embarrassing. So um, on behalf of uh, Western New York, I, I apologize for that showing, but <laughs> thanks. Thanks, man, for sharing that poem. And uh, You're
5: welcome. Yeah, Have yeah. a good one. Always fun. Take, Take care. care.
0: Bye. Yeah. It was Marianne Abdo with uh, What Are Isis Struck Again. Um, let's go next to um, Deidre uh, Dimancesco. De who is uh back still in the States from um her. I'm triple, still in the States
12: yeah. this week. Yeah, I'll be back in Switzerland next week. So I might send something in to you, but I won't be able to join Excellent. online. So Yeah, well but, I'm yeah, thinking about when
0: fun. when we have occasionally we have like poets that are out there and then we have a morning show for our uh, for us. Maybe we can catch you one of those. But um
12: Oh yeah, definitely. I'll do a morning show. Yeah, yeah. it's been really fun. I really enjoy the the shows and just being, being here with everyone. It's really nice. Yeah. We would love to have you. So what
0: do you have to share with us tonight?
12: Um, So I did the prompt poem and I decided to try a Sestina. It was my first attempt at a Sestina and I think I bit off a little bit more than I can chew. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But anyway, I wanted to share it with you because I just um, so enjoy when other people try new things. And um, so, yeah, you can, you can see a bit my, my journey with this one. Excellent. Um, so this is called press four for all other options. Um, it's also a little bit, um, uh, respond poem because it's about, um, no, that's not mine. That's, that's yours, Tim. No, I got it
0: That just it just takes a while to shift.
12: Oh, okay. Okay. Right. There we go. Press four for all other options. Welcome to Exxon mobile. Press one for the directory. Press two to speak to an operator. Three to leave a message. Hello, I'd like to speak to Darren Woods, please. It's urgent. I'm sorry, you will need to leave a message. Mr. Woods is not available. Tell him his house is on fire. No, it's a flood, sorry, I'm nervous. It's just so hot. We need to spread the truth, the difference between a truth and a lie when lives are at stake and false information is deadly. The tobacco playbook proved deadly. Connect me with accountability, no accounting, no accounts payable. There's no time for a message, just like tobacco. There's deception. It's all a big lie. Most people know action is urgent. It's hot where it should be cold and cold where it should be hot. Is there anyone else available? The facts on fossil fuels are available and denial is deadly. It's not supposed to be so hot. Someone in your organization must be accountable. I'll give them my message. Greta says we should act as if the house is on fire. She knows it's urgent. Why would a young girl lie? What type of person can go before Congress and lie? Only someone without a moral compass available would have the facts and say that action is not urgent, that it's okay to continue to invest despite when consequences are deadly. Excuse me, ma'am, I'm only an operator send us an email or press three to leave a message. But you of all people should know, there in Texas, it's hotter than hot. Records have been broken, If ne- it's never been so hot. Instead of fish and birds, we find refrigerators, cars, dead bodies that lie at the bottom of dry lakes. Why doesn't Mr. Woods get the message? There is no well water available. The drought is proving deadly. Rain, relief, respite, is urgent. So can we just tell Mr. Woods that his house is on fire so that he understands that change is urgent, that all the money in the world will not save his house from being too hot because fires are deadly. And when you emphasize uncertainty, claim ignorance, spread the lie, your house can't be saved because no water is available. I hope he understands that message. Tell him to slow the deadly gases that threaten our planet and tell him to treat it as urgent. This is my message. Here is my tip. That is hot. It's not too late to stop the lie. Solutions are available a menu of options that will save
0: lives. Yeah, excellent use of the Villanelle form and uh, and the prompt at the same time. That, or, I mean, not at Villanelle, Sestina, I should say. Press Sestina, for yeah. all other options. Yeah. We talked, I don't know, were you on, uh, did you do the Critique of the Week on Friday? Because we talked about Sestinas. Oh, and, you did?
12: Um, oh, I missed that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah it was fun because uh,
0: Brian O'Sullivan had one um, who's on here frequently too. And, um, and I, you know, Sestinas, I confess that they're my least favorite form, but they do have... They're they're my least favorite to write, at least. And um, there's a way certain poets like Denise Duhamel had that like sh- like talk style that's like fast talk with a lot of stuff going on. And I just think it's a perfect form for this um this answering scene message type poem too. That was a great use of the sestina.
12: Yeah, but it felt right for this poem. I'd like to work on it a little bit, but yeah, it's hard. It's a, it's yeah, a hard form. It's definitely
0: it's tricky, and it's just too too uh, there's too much many words for my style.
12: I think personally,
0: <laughs> but um but for people that don't know what a sestina is, there's a lot of people who um, are familiar um every so there's um that how many stanzas are there do you know um
12: One? i think there's six
0: yeah six stanzas yeah that would make sense six stanzas and each line has the same end words that kind of repeat so you have six words that end each lines that cycle through the stanzas and then the very last stanza the seventh is an envoy that includes all six and just three lines And so you have these same words repeating a lot, which if you listen back, there's message urgent, available, hot, lie, and deadly, which came up a lot in the poems. That's what a Sestina is. Uh, We like to educate, too, for people who might not know. So thanks for sharing that. A great opportunity to do that.
12: Yes. Thanks a lot.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Thanks so much. Yeah. Press four for all the options. Um, And that was a poem by um, Deidre Dimancesco, who is um, in the States briefly, uh, usually in Europe, so could join us tonight. Let's go next to Guy Chambers. Hi, Tim. Hey, Guy. How are you doing this day? I'm oh,
6: pretty good, pretty good. There. I still like that poem, that belly poem. There, that was written earlier. I just liked how it was arranged and how it was formed and how it was written. I thought it was really different, and well done.
0: That's interesting. I kind yeah. of, you kind of like to play with the same type of stuff, I think. Uh... Yeah,
6: I like doing. It. I like doing it. it. Just makes it a little different, and you can take it two different ways than that too. So, okay, this poem. I get it. It's called uh, a ghost, uh-huh. and it's, well, I just read it just a little while ago, so it's pretty fresh. So I'm going to give it a try here. So, all right, let's hear it. Okay. In a playground, unseen. In a home, unheard. In a street, unknown, isolated. A ghost. Sitting on an empty bench, by oneself. Looking out, glossed over, not even a blink of an eye. The cold shoulder, don't fit in, obscured, a ghost. Empty shoes on the mat, hand under the chin, unspoken, behind a shadow, eyes closed, head turned, sheltered, a ghost. To the neither most secluded, subdued, snubbed, unjust to one side of life, as of many far between, exiled,
0: a ghost. Thank you. Yeah, very cool guy. That was an interesting poem, A Ghost. Reminds me of a ghost story that, I don't know if you ever saw that movie. That was a good one. And then also, um, I was listening to something recently, I can't remember what. But they were talking about how, like, the idea of being scared of a ghost is something we shouldn't do because, you know, they're lost souls and we should think of mm-hmm. them as, you know, sadly lost souls. It kind of reminds me of that, too. Thanks for sharing that. Really cool poem. Yeah, Guy, and like ghost. I say, just
6: a person just being always, you know, being pushed aside this and I need to come really nothing or just, And so that's that's what i mostly all about.
0: Yeah, okay. exactly. Thank Great you. metaphor for it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Guy. Bye. All right. Take care. There's Guy Chambers with a ghost. Next up is uh, Chris Kaiser. He's got Chris Kaiser Philly on there, which might be a little dig at the uh, the Super Bowl teams
13: <laughs> coming up. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. No, no, no. I just like to put that on there because people are always wondering where you're from. So. Uh,
0: that's true. Yeah. So you are from Philly. Okay, that's interesting. I actually I didn't know.
13: Yeah. Uh-huh. Are you an uh, Eagles fan
0: or, or not much into football?
13: Um, I've gotten into it because of my older son, who's a big sports fans so to have something to talk to them about instead mm-hmm. hey dad can you give me money um <laughs> i follow some of the sports teams now uh-huh so uh so what do you got you like to share with us tonight all right well uh, i used to belong to uh, an online group called uh, theology explorers mm-hmm. and we would kind of tackle different uh religions or different aspects of theology and discuss them and this one time I said something and, um, and was attacked, and you're not supposed to do that on these types of forums. Somebody kind of reached o- over the aisle and, and was getting personal.
0: Mm-hmm.
13: And so I, I went home and I took a bunch of not, uh, notes. And so for this assignment, I went back to that and polished it up a little bit. I, at the time, I, I thought I was going to send this woman an email. And I decided not to, and good enough. The next day, she sent me an apology email. So I'm glad I never sent her my rant, which you're (laughs) about to hear. Okay, well, let's hear it. All right. A phone call that will never be made. Hi, Beatrice. I appreciate that your kind and claustrophobic heart has found room among the clutter of your privilege to feel sad for me, and my tiny, lonely, insignificant, godless existence. Like I'm just an annoying fly fixed in your special perspective to block out the golden sun, cast a pall across your face of grace until I learn to squirm on your divine flypaper. I hope the high esteem you hold yourself doesn't give you cultural vertigo. While I don't accept prayers from well-meaning heaven-bound crusaders for the crestfallen I will gladly accept your pity but I suspect your pity suffers from overuse having been often tossed down from the apogee of your self-importance to those of us so close to the fringes of hell that the stench of your seared of our seared egos singes the cilia in your upturned nostrils. If your pity is too ill-fitting for me, I'm sure you can conjure up a conjuries of like-minded, febrile friends who are only too happy to gormandize my flenched, bedeviled carcass in a pity party, worthy of their red-blooded desire to break the morganatic bond between the damned atheist Yabo and the virgin queen of quantum fuckery. <laughs> well,
0: that is a fun rant if I've ever heard of one. <laughs> I love that well-meaning heaven-bound crusaders for the crestfallen. <laughs> Everybody, there's a phone call that will never be made by uh, Chris Kaiser. Thanks for sharing that, Chris. A lot of words I have to look up, too, because uh, a lot
13: of words are over my yeah, head. That's- one of those poems I could hear you in the back of my mind saying oh the price of admission is way too high
0: <laughs> yeah well I mean some people pay a high price and I have a, a lot of uh, capital to spend and uh, I wish I you know every every time I get a poem like that I get a little more because I'm going to look up um, Quandam which I do not know but I will soon thanks for sharing that Chris alright thanks Tim yep take care it was Chris Kaiser with um, a phone call that will never be made Phil Stern is next hello hey Phil how you doing tonight good thank you so,
7: uh yeah so what do you have for us okay it's a prop poem you know by a phone call but um it's called good morning Vietnam and uh, I, I had no idea that you were going to have that poem uh to open the uh oh yeah know. that's fu- yeah that's funny some sort of serendipity.
0: Yeah, just like last week, too. We were talking about age, and then you had a yeah, yeah. about age, too. I think you've uh, got a little psychic gene in there, <laughs> Phil. I
7: don't know, but maybe. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this is this is it. Good morning, Vietnam. They never told me anything about my biological mother, who most likely in the midst of postpartum did it. So when I hear about a famous person who did it, I want to know the unreason why. I imagine calling Robin Williams and asking, was it about the feeling of always being on? The pressure, the expectation that you are anytime ready to perform dizzying, long, brilliant, manic riffs. But man, did you maybe do those because they took you away for the moment? from whatever was grinding you inside. I imagine saying to Robin, I sense in you such a generous, sensitive soul, and I just wish I could have called you before. I would have pleaded helplessly, please, please don't do it.
0: Yeah, excellent poem. Thanks for that. It was good morning Vietnam. Another that was the uh the first time we had a lot of poems was when um Proof spawned. The first time we had over 200 in one week was when Robin Williams died. There were a lot of poems about him then. Um and thanks for bringing back that memory of of such a great entertainer and performer.
7: Yes. Yes.
0: Indeed. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Thank that you. was uh Phil Stern with uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, next up is Brian O'Sullivan.
14: Uh, hi, Tim. Yeah. Hey, Brian. Um, Hey, really glad to be here. I was really tired at the beginning of this, and I've woken up a lot now.
0: Excellent. Yeah, um. <laughs> to up. hopefully, you don't need any melatonin. I guess that's the sponsor yeah, well, of the show. I
14: tried it once, and it didn't work. But maybe I just didn't <laughs> take Brought enough. To you
0: buy Nature Made. Yeah, that's the thing. I tried it once, and it didn't do anything. And then I realized that that I make none, and I can take heroic doses of melatonin. So um, try that.
14: So, what is uh, what is it that you'd like to share? So I sent a prompt poem. It's called an ode to him. You know, um, it's another. Phone call to dad poem, so I'm really glad that I wasn't following you too closely with your really powerful poem. Perfect. Thanks, Um, good job.
0: Spreading it out. Yeah.
14: (laughs) But yeah, an ode to him, you know. Okay, go ahead. Excuse me. I for God's sake, why don't he pick up, my father said, thinking I was ignoring my answering machine, which I hadn't actually had for a couple of years. I'm just busy listening to your voicemail, dad, I said out loud to get a laugh out of Jen. I thought that probably sounded to her like some shillelagh-wielding ogre, and I didn't want her getting too nervous. She was about to meet him for the first time. I realized then that I didn't have to worry, because she was already smiling at his cheerful grumpiness and his brusque West Cork accent. Everybody smiled at his easy charm, from a gene which must have missed me, along with the one for his Pete Rich, baritone voice. I think if he had heard me try to sing as an adult, he would have said, there are two ways to do a thing, a right way and a wrong way, and I would have known he meant, as he always did, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, boy, you're doing that wrong. But I would have missed, as I almost always did, the gentle laughter in his eyes silently adding, but it's all right, boy, you're all right. I hardly ever heard that until the wake, when I heard it in the stories told by the people who got him. I thought about his retirement party video. He stood like a stout Irish gargoyle in front of the Carlisle Hotel for 40 years, picking up bags and saying, good to see you again, sir, in case he hadn't seen them before. In case he had seen them before, he never could remember a face. On the video, a desk clerk rose to read her newly written ode to Paddy O'Sullivan. Another bellman echoed to another bellman. An ode to him, you know. My mother from Cantor would have called them thick Irishmen. And being thick and being a little drunk, and not being guys who talked about odes, they'd laughed. And being young and being dumb, I laughed too. I'd learned about odes, and I knew people didn't usually write odes about bellmen. Now I'd like to be able to give him a call and tell him I want to write my own ode to him. You know. He'd call me an idiot. But I think he secretly like it. On an impulse, I pick up my Pixel and call our ancient phone number. And over the Verizon error message, I say, "Error for God's sake, Dad! Why can't you pick up?"
0: Ah, uh, great, great poem. Yeah, very moving and a lot different than my poem for sure. So it's a guy we get a but some different different dad poems in there. Thanks for sharing it, Brian. Yeah, it's Brian O'Sullivan with uh, an ode to him. You know, great ending too. All right, let's go next to Jennifer Elise Wang, and we have a cat photobomb from Jennifer. <laughs>
15: Yeah. I was like, It's cold, so he, he wants it to be nervous.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let me let me show this to so the cats over there. Yeah, yeah. Good to see you. What's the cat's name, Jen? Uh his name is Willie. Oh. Uh that that was the name he came with uh-huh. at the shelter because we adopted him when he was nine. So. Oh, very cool. Um so what do you have that you'd like to share?
15: Um, so this was kind of an older poets respond. A couple of weeks ago it got published in uh the New Verse News. So oh,
0: excellent, yeah, yeah. It's the New Verse yeah. News, all in word, dot news. The New Verse News dot news.
15: Yeah, and it's a tribute to Ken Block. He was a rally car racer and before that he was a pro snowboarder, skater, kind of entrepreneur. He founded a DC shoes. <laughs> so yeah, he did a lot of things and is um because I'm big into the action sports world. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah, like his his death kind of resonated with a lot of a lot of fans and a lot of athletes.
0: Hmm. Did he die? I hate to ask, but did he die in some kind of accident, or was it?
15: Yeah, know, this... it was a snowboarding accident oh, actually, ah, like, and it happened bad. to be on his own. And and mm-hmm. we actually just lost another action sports athlete in an avalanche. So this winter's been kind of harsh. Oh wow,
0: yeah, that's rough. Those those sports are tough for sure. Yeah.
15: Um, so the poem is forty-three. That's a number. Ode to the original hoonigan in memory of Ken Block. I could smell the burning rubber when I watched videos of you racing through the streets of San Fran as if it's the Daytona International Speedway. Except you turn in all sorts of ways, not just left. You could hit the dirt too, and I think I still have sand in my hair from when I watched you in Austin racing guys like yourself, former boarders and bikers who found a new thrill behind the wheel. We joked, with age comes the cage, but you never restricted yourself. Like the engines of your Fords, Subarus, and Audis, you pushed your own body to the limits on concrete, dirt, water, and snow. Now, I think if there is a heaven the angels would have a hard time keeping you in one spot.
0: Uh, very cool. Yeah. Great ending on that too, uh, Jen. And uh, you know, you got to think that that maybe they'd want it that way, you know, when they live that way, mm-hmm. right at the edge. Uh, maybe that, that's the way they'd want to go. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. That was uh, Jennifer Lee Swang once again with ode to the original Hoonigan uh, in memory of Ken Block. And, uh, and that's actually at, at new verse news, but the URL is newversenews.blogspot.com. That's right. And it's a great place to send your Poetry respond poems. There's only a few places left that do the Poetry respond type thing, and they're one of them. Let's go next to um – let's go to um Kashyana Singh next. Hey, Kashyana. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm great. It's great to see you again. It's been a while. You were, of course, the guest on – like a year or two ago on the Rattlecast, so it's good uh, to see you again.
16: I think nearly – Almost a year, exactly. Oh, Maybe yeah. a little less, less than a year. Yeah, I remember
0: it was um, the winter. I just don't remember which winter, but yeah, yeah. Good to see yeah. you again. Uh,
16: how you been doing? Good to see you. I've been doing well, and great, great show as always. Um, the the melatonin story that I have is, <laughs> <laughs> I just I walked into a COVID household for caregiving purposes mm-hmm. uh, with three members of my family uh, with COVID, so I was asked to pump zinc. Melatonin and vitamin D and C, mm-hmm. uh, with the hope that a I would I probably get it, but mm-hmm. at least I would last longer. And it, whether that worked or just the will will and power worked, but it worked, and I was able to help with the caregiving till I actually got COVID myself on the fifth day or the sixth day. Yeah,
0: yeah very good. well, that is a protocol. I won't say who because I think YouTube bans people for saying it. That's probably over, but but anyway, that is something that some doctors have been sharing. <laughs> So So interesting, yeah. um, Maybe the um, maybe melatonin is the poet drug. Maybe we'll find that out. (laughs) Everybody uses it. it Definitely, it increases your dreams. So maybe, uh, maybe there is a connection there. Um, Anyway, no firecrackers tonight is your poem, and it's a a, uh, looks like a haiku sequence, probably right? Like you like to? Yes, it is.
16: Anything else you want to tell us
0: about it before you read?
16: Um, it's funny, but it's uh, related to the lunar. the, new, the Lunar New Year shooting uh-huh. in L.A.
0: Okay, well, uh, well let's hear it. Yeah, go so,
16: ahead. No firecrackers tonight, 122, 2023 Warding off evil, dragons dancing wild in a blood-red riot. Lunar New Year, their reunion dinner marked an end. Mass shooting, shockwaves gathering, on a moonless night. Floating lanterns, a rising whale disperses in silence. Tang Yuan, beginning the year with good omens. An empty town, sweeping bad luck away. Firecrackers, swapping swapping coins with death. Temple gongs, recursioning sounds of fear. Zodiacs which and sorry 12 zodiacs which animal are you
0: oh excellent a great great series of haiku um as we always get from Kashiana. thanks so much for sharing that and a, a tough subject definitely um that's you know not too far away from me I've been in that area many times so it's a rough definitely a rough time with that news thank you yeah take care thanks for joining us again
16: thank you Tim take care yeah,
0: you too yeah Kashiana Singh with no firecrackers tonight all right, here's Jerry Stephenson next. And last but not least, I should say, on the Zoom. <laughs>
17: <laughs> okay. You got me there now? Yeah, I got you. How are you doing tonight, Jerry? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I have, I was listening to her talk about COVID and the side effects of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I had COVID this fall. You know how it hit me? How? Exhaust- exhaustion. Oh, yeah, you got that. Sleeping 10 to 12 hours a night. I'm the guy who goes to bed last and gets up first. Mm hmm. My time has just gone whittled right down oh, to wow. how, how, uh, amazing. Did that. How long last? It's been going on since November. Late oh November.
0: yeah, mm-hmm. they and they, then basically.
17: Yeah, I, I my wife said I, I fall asleep at eight o'clock or eight thirty in the in the evening. She wakes me up 9, nine 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 thirty the oh, next wow. day. Uh-huh. It's been so my whole world's turned a little more upside down. But there's nothing wrong with that. Too. I've been writing a lot the last month.
0: Well, that's a good thing.
17: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been like a whole different thing. But I'm seeing the world through different eyes. The one I got for you today. Just, I got, I was working on the phone when I love that stuff, uh-huh. but I bought three of them on the go. They weren't working. And this one just came out, my friend, Reverend Stephen Bales at St. Ives. Because mm-hmm. I love saying that as I was going to St. Ives and he's a reverend there, he has a poetic group and he publishes me once a month, for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. And he's, this letter goes out in that and it came back to because Maybe I can read you first Valentine's day poem the season. Sure. Is this a, who knows? Who knows? Excellent. Perfect. Yeah, here let's we go. get a head start. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Who knows? The always question, so what is love? Is there a love scale? Is there a love thermometer? Is there a love metropolo? Uh, brackets, less side effects. Star, so you know, metropolo is a beta blocker drum. Okay. Uh, the, other, the, uh, the other always question, where is love? under a special moon, under the blanket in a car, under a wonderful star, uh, brackets, more movie or pop. The forever question, so when is love? As a blushing teen, a maturing blind date at a 20th anniversary, brackets, requires you still being together. The, the big biggest question is why is there love? Ask a device ask a giddy teen, ask the couple who still blush, brackets, smile, and a wink. A happy Valentine's to all lovers who never ask when, who never question or have, who always have a reason to blush, brackets, no brackets required. Poets note, of course, we all have something better else we could be attending to.
0: (laughs) Excellent. I love that about the uh, ask a giddy teen. That's perfect. Who knows? Thanks so much for sharing that, Jerry. A pleasure as always. Great hey, to see you. I'm glad you're feeling a little better hey. anyway.
17: Oh, it's, it's I think I'm coming back. It's it's been a it's been a slug, but it's okay.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Nice
17: seeing you, Tom. Great show tonight. I just it, it blows me away most of them. This was Wonderful,
0: excellent. Well, thanks, Jerry. Thanks I Appreciate so that.
17: Yep. Take care. Good evening. Take care. Bye
0: bye. Yep. That was Jerry Stephenson with Who Knows. I'm going to shut down the Zoom because it kind of distracts me a bit as I'm finish up the show. If you're uh, still there, go over to where you're watching it before to watch the very end and see what the prompts are. Um, okay, so Zoom is off, and it's really it's way past the uh, deadline of time here. Um, let's see. But I skip people. Let me do let me do a really quick one because there's a Charita by Andrea Dobrica. So that's perfect. Um, and, and Andrea is, of course, in in Europe too, so can't share. Um, here we go with this. This is callback for the uh, prompt by, um, by Andrea Dobrica. a Callback. Four letters lodged deep down, horse throat, liar. And that's a Charita poem, which goes to... I can't remember. There, the the stanza expands slightly. It's almost like a haiku-ish... Uh, poem. I can never remember the rules, though. It's the one that's new to me, but um, that is definitely a Charita uh, by Andrea Dobriga. Thanks so much for sharing that, Andrea. Um, let me see if there's any other really short ones we can get through really quick, because there's a bunch of people who email me prompt poems, too. And uh, I gotta get going, though. Let's see. Uh, we gotta wrap up the show. I'm sorry for the people whose poems we can't share today. There's a whole bunch of them that came in, um, but I gotta keep get going. Uh, let's do this week's Saiku really quickly before we go. And uh, the psyku this week is based on this story. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to squeeze it in, but we'll look at the picture anyway. Um, It is um, um, agriculture linked to changes in age-independent mortality in North America, which is a very boring title. Uh, But what they found is that there's this really interesting pattern of um, agricultural development where uh, life expectancy – or um or na- unnatural death i guess goes way down at first once we start uh, farming and then after in the case of north america after several thousand years all of a sudden um uh, mortality goes up like people are dying all of a sudden and what they realized, looking at the uh, samples of their food and what they were eating and what was going on and how they were dying at that sort of middle age where people don't usually die naturally is that basically what happens is that the you know, as, as, as the population is filling in this niche with this new way of getting food, we start to like live better and healthier and happier and in harmony with trade and stuff like that. But then when we get big enough, we start to have wars and have, uh, you know, chieftains controlling things and, and fighting and people die in sort of a military death. And that's a pattern that they found here in North America that they found all over the world. And it's probably a thing that happens all over the place too. So my uh, haiku that that inspired is this one nest. In every empty tree the same winter. One nest in every empty tree the same winter. That is my Psy for the week, and that is your show for this week. Uh next week's prompt is going to be this. This is inspired. We we do the prompts inspired by this week's guests. That's how we're doing it now. And uh you saw that um Um Nickel had um a bunch of poems that were questions, and then she was writing prose poems about them, right? So um and we also had hyben too. So let's check this out. This is gonna be the prompt for this next week. Right here. Um, go to Quora.com. And that's a, quest- that's a site where you can ask questions and experts, supposedly, or knowledgeable people answer them. So go to Quora.com. Answer one of the questions on the homepage incorrectly as a prose poem uh, or hyben. So you can have your choice. you got some prose in there, but you can make it a haibun too, if you'd like, to get, to get into uh, Kenneth Tanemir's uh, poetry there as well. Go to Quora. Answer one of the questions on the homepage incorrectly as a prose poem or hyben bonus points if you post it there i don't expect anyone to but if you want to that'd be kind of fun um so that is your prompt for next week and next week's guest in the Rattlecast is going to be speaking of hyben and whatnot uh, michael dylan welch um michael dylan welch runs grace it's a one of the biggest and best haiku websites in the world um, there's so many essays so much content there um, let me make sure it's .com and not .org so I can t- send you to the right place. Let's see. Grace Guts. Yes, De- graceguts.com. Um, but he's a great haiku poet. He was in our uh, Japanese forms issue. He's in so much for, for haiku and the haiku community. We're going to talk all about haiku and all the different types of haiku, the, the linked stuff and the renku and the renga and all that kind of thing. Um, there's a whole bunch to talk about with Michael Dillon Welch. That's going to be next week's guest on the podcast number 180, Uh, and with a prompt to use uh, to write a prose poem or hyphen based on a core answer that is incorrect that you have to make up. So that is going to be the show uh, Rattlecast number 180, Monday, February 6th, the regular time, 8pm Eastern, uh, 5pm Pacific. Hope to see you then. Hope you have a great week in the meantime and I will talk to you later. Good night.